Mom, bring us in, man. No, man, this is you. This, this is all has you. been this has been this has been your deal for for the last year or so. Nope. You you introduce guests, I introduce roundtables. You know. How so I noticed a little bit of a demeanor change from Ben today. And I don't know if it's like coming from work and you're just a little down, but like I think he knew that he wasn't doing the intro and like yeah, I didn't even want to he, show up. He just was like sad because he's like that's like that's like my thing. Like that's what like gets me up out of bed in the morning. So I'm sorry to take that from you. It's okay. But I'm happy to take yeah. it from you. To introduce our guest. See, it's like short, negative. <laughs> See, this is, this is how the podcast started. Just bitter all the time. You, you lightened up when you got some more responsibilities on airtime. And there we go. <laughs> all right. Well, for those of you that are just joining us that uh, yep. uh, have not listened to previous episodes, go back and start at episode one. And you'll see, you'll see the, the progression of the Ben Gibbs uh, co-host here. And you'll see he just regressed back to his original That's state. That's right. Yeah. So. Where I wouldn't say a word. <laughs> the, whole, the whole hour. There was like five episodes where, where I think like one token question from you. Yeah. And it was super insightful. He'd been thinking about it for like an hour and a I half. Had, I had a, very, a lot of time to think. <laughs> uh, but uh, today, really excited. Uh, a good buddy of mine that uh, we met this last spring. Our boys played football together. Uh, we got lost at a um, at a, the Prosper Football Complex or Baseball Complex. We got lost over there. If any of you have ever been there Texas in the North huge. Texas, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Actually, it wasn't. We were just totally in the wrong area. But anyways, we've gotten to know each other. Uh, we've got kids that are the same age. And, um, man, I've, I've just learned so much uh, from him just in a short amount of time and just really just amazing, amazing person. His family's awesome. Uh, but – we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his journey, but really an expert, like, like market leader in marketing. In, in fact, we've been doing this podcast since 2020. Uh, so we're about two and a half years in and we're babies compared to this guy. Yeah. This he's an, guy. He's an OG. The, the uh, like yeah. OG, like when podcasts weren't really cool, to be honest with you, like it was the very beginning. So Social media social hour yep. was started in 2012 and grew that podcast to be one of the top podcasts in the world. 2012 is when 2012. It yeah, that is like OG. OG, OG. Yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't listen to my first podcast. I, I didn't do, listen to any podcast until 2017. That's five years after Dang, you started. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like obsessed. I listen to more than anybody you've ever met. Yep. So I never listened one to a single one. Yeah, he and he consumes a lot of podcasts. You should see our text chain because it's (laughs) hey, listen to this. I was like, how do you have this much time? And then you come on talking about Netflix. Like, how do you how do you have time to do both? I'm a consumer, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, our guest today, Tyler Anderson, Uh, and for those of you that have have not seen or have no Tyler in the past, have not seen him last. 45, 50 days, you will notice this dude is lean and mean as well. Getting there. I was going to say, we might not be the best looking dudes no, on the no, set Definitely today. not. That was, <laughs> we might have had the bench press thing on him, but, uh, but Tyler Anderson, so he is the CEO and founder of Casual Fridays, a marketing company, social media marketing company focused around uh, hotels, correct? correct? And yep. that's really kind of the main source. But again, just... 
his journey, and we're going to get into it, and his knowledge of marketing and social media marketing. And so here's the thing, is I was listening to some old episodes of his, and Tyler's been through a ton of iterations of social media. Like, when you started, it was pre-Instagram. Oh, yeah. Obviously pre-TikTok. But so you've seen, and I, y'all were talking about Bing as a, social, as a search engine. Search engine, yeah. And Bing, Bing, wow. yeah. And like, Ask Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was pre-12 okay. pre-2012 okay. Yeah. That was like, i remember what, high that, school going to ask but like yeah. i'm super excited because it got me all fired up listening to the the older stuff because there's still a ton that applies and still works today Absolutely. that y'all talked about but like seeing and going through all these waves like in our business like you're not a true veteran in the business in commercial real estate until you go through cycles right been through a recession been through you know, the, the market crash in, in 08 or in the late 80s in Dallas, you know, that's when you're a vet. Like, yep. you've been through it. You've seen it from the marketing standpoint and how things have changed. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but I this my whole journey started with MySpace. Yeah, but oh, like, oh. that's how yeah, how wow. far this goes back. And this is pre, like, music MySpace. This is oh, like, yeah, this is like... This is my top eight. It's This is when MySpace was, like, TikTok. Yes. Because the only people yeah. on it were people under the age of 22. Oh, That's man. it. And, and Tom was your first friend. Tom was everybody's first oh, friend. Man. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. Like, what, I wonder what he's doing now. He cashed out. I wonder he what cashed he's doing. out. Yeah. yeah didn't yeah. Sony buy it? Was it Sony that bought that? Timberlake was behind it for a while. Oh, Justin gosh. Timberlake was an investor. Really? Wait. Yeah. That Timber, was like Justin was, Timberlake music, Justin Timberlake? Yeah. Or Justin that was when it became a music thing. Justin Timberlake. Just the music one. Yeah. Okay. So I honestly, the years blur together now, but yeah, Tom. God, he was in the news like six, seven years ago for something else. I can't remember. Oh, what was he? Okay. Yeah, but like that was so funny. He had that weird picture where he's kind of looking at the desk, like with a, like a whiteboard or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like as a marketer, you're probably like, dude, what are you doing? I, like, it worked. That. Well, again, going back to like just how it it all does go full circle because yeah. like when I see everybody talk about TikTok, I kind of like I'm like, was it their their approach? The it was the same negative stuff that we heard about. MySpace. Yes. Back yeah. when it was only, you know, a bunch of 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14 year olds on the platform. Yep. Um, not to go into this story, but like I joined that platform, I think when I was like 22, or 23, like I was right, right out of college. I think I was one of the first 1000 people yeah. on that platform. Mm. And, you know, you, looking now, thank God. They don't have archives of that. <laughs> like, you know, because like all the stuff that people get in trouble for nowadays, yeah. that yeah. was pre its time where everything was being archived or screenshotted. Yep. This is like before mobile. This is all desktop. Right. But there's, I, I guarantee you there's stuff I'm not proud of that I posted on that platform as a 22 sure. year old kid. I mean, is there still ways to get back onto it? Is the platform still in existence? I don't even know if it's still in existence. I, 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 I have no, to be completely honest. I never I no formally clue. deleted my account. I didn't either. So it's still either. out there, I'm sure, somewhere. Well, they, they merged it because I do remember, like, in 2012, my login still worked. Yeah. But it was, like, <laughs> it was like the music platform. All of my stuff had been stripped. Because I don't know if you guys remember, back in the day, they, like, let you customize your profile. Yeah. You could, like, have yep. music load. Mm -hmm. And so, like, part of your way of, like, how you could express yourself is what, well, hey, yeah. I'm a, I want Bob Marley to play when you yeah. load my profile because yeah. I'm feeling like that I right get a, now. I get a, uh, a picture of a you weed know? blossom behind behind <laughs> so, my timeline. I mean, I was I was living in South Mission Beach in San Diego yeah. during this time. I was living in this little studio apartment literally about the size, half the size of this room. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, right near the beach. And two grand a month. <laughs> actually, it was dirt cheap. It was like 700 bucks. Come but, on. Wow. Oh, yeah. South, South Mission rents weren't that bad. And, uh, but, like, I had one of my first jobs out of school and, you know, like, 
didn't have a ton of money and that was an outlet. That was a way to like, you know, be, you know, kill time, right? Yeah. You you'd pay for an internet bill back then, which was like 30 bucks. You had a laptop. That's how you'd entertain yourself. Jeez. You know, we didn't have Netflix. All right. We're going to go, stream. we're going to go back before that. Yeah. Though. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be almost be self or not be selfish here. Cause this is fast. You want to hear more about MySpace? Yeah. Well, just the whole social media. Because again, you've been from the yeah. beginning, but yeah, no, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. I'm, okay. I'm excited though. I'm yeah. Excited Cause again, like the, what you saw with MySpace, what you, I mean, I don't think AOL Instant Messenger wasn't considered social Technically media. Technically a chat room like the ICQ, in yeah. theory, could have been considered a social network. Because okay. it's like through an internet connection and yeah. it's a one-to-one -one conversation or a private message. I mean, I remember joining fantasy football like chat rooms yeah. in like 1999. Really? Like through ICQ. Yeah. Talking to random strangers about, huh. you know, oh, should yeah. I start, you know, Dan Marino this week? You yeah. know? I didn't <laughs> like, know fantasy football was that old. Dude, oh yeah, fantasy, fantasy football like 1987. Been, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. But you have to. Huh. You used to have to do it in the newspaper. So they newspaper they, scoring. They would no they way. Would, yeah, they would publish oh, yeah. the the scores from the week, uh -huh. and then you'd like go and you would do it all hilarious. by hand. I'm, I'm still in the same league with. A, I'm I'm 44. I'm still uh -huh. in the same league with like probably 70 percent of my friends from seventh grade. <laughs> And, and back then we amazing. had to score it. We had a, the same commissioner. Shout out to hey, Hans. You've accomplished a lot in your life. That might be the most amazing thing you've accomplished. Just okay. sticking around with friends that long. Well, even talk, speaking of fantasy football, so you guys know Matthew Barry. Uh huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Matthew Barry was on my podcast. You probably didn't catch that one. I didn't get that far. No. No. Yeah. So he, uh, I ran into him in 2012 at uh, this conference called New Media Expo. Uh -huh. They had a whole podcasting panel, and the ESPN guys were there. So it was him. Um, yeah. It's been all replaced, but. That's also when I had a SaaS startup with the agency at the time. Uh, software as a service is what SaaS is, mm -hmm. just for the audience out there. And I kind of approached him just because this is when everybody was like into their vanity metrics. Like, yeah. how popular are you on Twitter? How much engagement are you getting? And I showed him the sample report we did because a SaaS product we had was doing like competitive analytics yeah. on Twitter. So I showed him a little report with him, Shefty, a bunch of those NFL guys, and he like loved it. Huh. So then uh -huh. uh, I'm like, hey, you know, you do a great job with your personal branding. Why don't you come on my podcast? So he did. It's cool. So That's I awesome. met him, uh, gosh, it would have been 15 or 16, um, did the fantasy football convention. So the yeah. guy that started that, Romo's cousin, okay, um, Andy Albreth. Um, so he lives here in Dallas. And then uh, Matt and a handful of other guys came and like did like a big old segment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, small world. I bring that up because he, you know, he will always say they used to do the newspaper scoring. I'm like, dude, we did that too, man. Like we're, you know, I don't know how old he is. He might be around my age. I yeah, maybe yeah. older. I have no idea. But yeah, we, we were playing fantasy football way back in the day. My mom, my mom bought me a book. I can't, I, like it was like 1987 and like introduced that to me. And I remember going to school, getting like a few other kids into it. And yeah, we were, hooked. I had no idea it was that old. Are you any better now than you were in junior high? No, <laughs> um, it's just, you know, like everything with technology, yeah. it makes it easier to your point, you know, yeah. like manually scoring was, was a pain in the butt, you know, and, and we've evolved our, the scoring platforms, like not to make this up about fantasy football, but, but when we used to play, it was pretty cut and dry like yeah. either your player scored a touchdown or you didn't mm -hmm. yeah and you got points now yeah. it's like did they catch the ball like, yeah that's, you know like point. Touch, did they yeah you know so yeah yards and like yeah. there's an eight plus yard catch yeah. and yeah oh yeah. it's a touchdown over 40 points there's a bonus you yeah. know the big the big hot button in our league now i'd actually love your guys take on this half the league is so split because we give negative points for interceptions i think it should be Okay. I think you should I be agree penalized. With you agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. No, I'm just you don't. Kidding. Yeah. I think I, I am, but we've gotten a little aggressive. So we, we do four points for a touchdown pass, but if you throw a pick, it's negative three. My whole gripe with that, 
Like I have Josh Allen this Ooh. year, which is great. He throws a ball, and I don't know. Gabe Davis goes to reach it, tips it up in the air. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's right. not really, it's not really that's his fault, you know. Yeah. And it shouldn't take away seventy five percent of a touchdown. That, that's a yeah. Good point. So, that's anyway. a that's a it's an interesting take on it. Um, but again, there's caveats on all the other True. ones. I mean, yep. okay, hey, is it is it outright interception? Is it deflected interception? But that's where the scoring is not picked up because, like, yeah. we watch that, and like, well, it's not Josh's fault. That shouldn't go against them. But ESPN or Yahoo or whatever, yeah, yeah. an interception is an interception. Yeah, because at the end of the year, it's like, all right, what's your touchdown interception ratio? Like, exactly. that's that's ultimately what. It, if you look yeah. at your QBR, if you look at your, you know, yeah. it doesn't take yeah. that. So that makes sense. Bet you didn't know we were going to do fantasy talk here. No, didn't. didn't. <laughs> and, I, and I've only done fantasy because when I played, I was anti-fantasy. I was like, these guys, right? Because you'd, get, you'd yeah. get stuff all the time. Like, hey, who's starting this week? Who's playing? I got him on my team. And I had buddies be like, dude, I drafted you on my team. I'm like, I don't know fantasy football, but I think that was a very bad, <laughs> bad use of a pick. <laughs> but uh, so then when I, when I got done, I was like, ah, let me try it. And it is, I get it. I totally get it. It is. It makes watching football so much more fun, yeah. like so much more intimate. Like you're going to watch games that you never would watch, and wives, I'm sure, don't love it. But it's get like them, yeah. get them involved, get them on board, and it's I mean, like there gambling. You go. Not not that I gamble, <laughs> but it is like gambling. It's the same it principles. Every, every, not that we're opposed yeah. to it. Thank yeah. you, Chuck Tucker. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's no, but exact it makes same. every game worth watching. You yeah. could watch. I mean, trying to who's terrible this year. It's like the the. Broncos, 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 Broncos. Yeah, which Jaguars. happened? Remember that game, like three nine three or nine six, yeah. all field yeah. goals. Yeah, but still, like the reason the NFL is getting these ratings, I think the correlation is fantasy football, yeah. gambling, yeah. yes, all that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, DraftKings gambling. The, I mean, yeah, the partnerships, which is yeah. so funny because when I was playing, anything associated with gambling is you're getting suspended, you're getting yeah. fined. I mean, it's a big deal now. The NFL's partnered. With these gambling sites, with these gambling platforms, with casinos. Like we couldn't we couldn't even go and gamble in a casino legally. Wow. Per the NFL as an active. During NFL the player. season, out of no, the season. At all. Oh, at all. Oh, at wow. all. Because then that could that somehow could be correlated to it. So yeah. like the NFL, so the fantasy football convention, one of the first years was supposed to be in Vegas and it got shut down. Because of the correlation, players couldn't go to Vegas. Although they would bring a bunch of us to the to the convention, couldn't go to Vegas because it was against league policy. Yep. Hmm. Like, okay. I mean, well, I know what's his name. Ninety-eight percent of the active players are in Vegas at least once a year. Sure. That, that receiver for Atlanta just got popped and suspended. Calvin which, Ridley. Yeah, yeah, Calvin Ridley. Whole season. Fifteen hundred dollar bet. Yeah. And he, I don't even think he bet on the Falcons. No, he didn't. No. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, he just gambled but the, them. But there you go. It's double yeah. standard. Like mm-hmm. the NFL can make hundreds of millions of dollars on this. Yep. But no, 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 no. If you're a player, and I get it, right? You want to, yeah. you want to keep integrity the, the game, the for integrity sure. for sure. But again, if I played with quite a few guys that really enjoyed sports betting, like sure. really enjoyed it, and but I'm just like, why can you profit? But then yeah. they can't. Now I get it. If you're as long as you're not betting on your own team, right? Yeah. That where you have a direct influence on it, who cares? Yeah. Anyways, all right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Restart. We digress. <laughs> Restart. So Tyler, want to we want to understand how you got to be this marketing guru, marketing genius. I mean, hence I say mogul. Um, yeah, I mean, he lives in Salina, word. so he's. He's a mogul in my mind. 
So he's, he's arrived. I mean, there's no yeah. better, better place on the planet to live. So walk us back. I mean, take yeah. us back to the days in Minnesota where you were raised, kind of sure. family dynamic, school. Yep. Uh, also has a, an athletic journey that. Uh, sure. So uh, I grew up in a, a city called Edina, Minnesota, which is okay. a suburb. It's literally right next to, to Minneapolis, but it's has a has a different, unique, or um, kind of a interesting reputation amongst Minnesota. Uh, it's hated because it's a predominantly very wealthy community. Okay, my family was not. We we had no business living there. But this is like where the one percent of Minnesota lives. Okay, um, life could have maybe been a little different because my grandfather on my dad's side. He, he basically gifted that house to my, my mom and dad and, or he didn't, my mom did, I should say, or my grandmother, his mom. And she did that because he died unexpectedly at like age, he died one month before I was born and he was super entrepreneurial. So I think this is where I get it. He owned like tons of sports bars. Like this is back where the North stars and the twins and the Vikings, all that, those in those heydays in the seventies, you know, he owned all the bars and all that stuff that they would hang out at. Right. Mm. And, uh, but he died unexpectedly a month before I was born. He owned a ton of land in Edina. Okay. Which is again, it's a wealthy area and grandma kind of couldn't handle it. <laughs> so grandma sold it all and she moved to, to Washington state to go be with my dad's sisters or my aunts, uh, gave the house, to my mom and my dad. So they, that's how they ended up in Edina. That's where I was born. But my dad, you know, he went to school kind of like a lot of people in the, from those generations got, you know, I, I can't remember what he majored in. I want to think it was like, uh, like department of natural resources. Like he's into okay. wildlife, stuff like that. But he got a job with a, a power company when he was like, you know, in college and next thing, like 50 years later, that's where he's still working. Right. Huh. That's just how it was back then. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. very, very blue collar type job with the power company. Um, mom was, this, you know, kind of a stay at home mom, but then she had like, uh, she had like an office job. I remember with like a dental firm, like helping with like bill accounts, payables, stuff like that. Just doing whatever we had to do to survive kind of like in this town. But, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book, rich dad, poor dad oh, yeah. by Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. That was my life. So I lived in Edina. My parents were kind of like my poor dad or my mm -hmm. poor parents, but like I was blessed because like my best friends, their parents were some of the wealthiest people I ever knew. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I vividly remember one of my good friends, Hunter, his dad, uh, sold his company for like almost, almost $300 million. Like when we were in like high school, go Hunter. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, but, but Steve Simon, that's who it was. I mean, I remember him sharing stories with me, how he was like supporting his kids for less than $20,000 a year. And he had a family of like five or six. Yeah. So he was like the rich dad or, um, like a Roger King, who was like a big time exec at, uh, Graco or, uh, another one was like, she was a woman, but it was the mom, uh, Barbara Lupian. She's to this day, one of my, my mentors still her son, like her and her husband started the largest string of car dealerships throughout Minnesota. Like they were all the people I was around. So I got to see kind of like that entrepreneurial thing. And how, how was that though for you? I mean, was there like, were you comparing yourself to them? Were you aware enough at that time to say, Hey, look, this is a great opportunity didn't realize the opportunity by any means, um, but they were my friends and yeah. they, they didn't judge negatively if they, we would come hang out at my house. But okay. by default, we would go to their houses because sure. they just yeah. had cooler houses. Yeah, way cooler right? snacks in the Way pantry. cooler snacks, refrigerators yeah. full of sodas. Go yeah. grab them when you want it. Yeah. Um, but, you know. I had those friends too. <laughs> but it was, I, I kind of got to see all that. And I, you know, that's also when I saw like, I want that. 
yeah. know, I want to have that lifestyle. I want to be able to provide that for my family. Um, I want to have the home base for kids to come hang out at, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And, um, so that was just important to me. And that that's where I, I would say I got like this business sense. Like I want to be an entrepreneur, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, I, I remember like still to this day being in like, even like sixth grade, like in my room, just like visualizing things and like, I didn't even know what I was doing, but like trying to pretend I was in business, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like looking at income statements and things like that. But definitely that's what influenced me. Yeah. I know? was doing the same in sixth grade. <clears throat> no, I was not looking at balance sheets and income <laughs> statements so, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, I, I went to San Diego for college. Um, now I can probably, you're talking about the athletes. So yeah. I was also, I played football and basketball. Yeah. Okay. Um, varsity all three years, both sports. Okay. Wow. Um, football was definitely like what I was better at. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think it was like my passion off the field. Like I love watching football still, but yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I hated practice. Like, oh, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. Like <laughs> basketball, love practice. Hey, three on two, two on one. Like just, yeah. you're, you're playing pickup hoops basically, yeah, right. right? That's yeah. more fun. As a lineman, you know what it's yeah. like. I mean, I, I was looking over my friend who was like our quarterback, you know, he's sitting there on one knee just doing these like yeah. shoulder drills and I'm sitting there yeah. doing bear crawls. Like <laughs> you were an O lineman. I was an O lineman and oh, D lineman. Wow. Yeah. Now part of it is, I think this is where I get frustrated. Um, just about the timing and coaching yeah. back then This is in the nineties. Mm -hmm. My school has like one of the bigger kids, bigger yeah. kids are going to get stuck in the line. Even yeah. though I was an athletic basketball player yeah. and I had good hands. I'm sure nowadays I maybe would have had a chance at like a tight end. Or something. Yeah. But there but, was no, there, a tight end was another offensive lineman. Right? Pretty much. It was, it was run first. It was all like double wing, you know, we're just going to pound the ball yeah. like that. Well, was and mentality. we, in pre high school, we even had like the weight limit up until like eighth grade. Like yeah. if you were a yeah. certain weight limit, you couldn't even carry the ball. Yeah. So I, I didn't even get the chance. Right. Um, so yeah, I was a lineman just cause I was the bigger kid. So I think I played like around like two fifteen, two twenty in high school, <laughs> which I'm in, I'm like yeah. two fifteen now. Um, but then I was recruited, you know, a lot of big 10 schools coming out of Minnesota. Um, you know, like anybody's ever gone through that. It's a, it's a fun time. It's yeah. also, I don't know about, at least for me, like I, I will say, I think my ego got the best of me. Like when you're starting to like go on those official visits mm -hmm. and stuff and, you know, every day I, we had like student council was a class in my high school, which was pretty cool. And that was like our first hour and all the mail would just be like, they're waiting for me, you know, and you'd see all those university logos and all that. Yeah. And just, of course you feel like, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool about that. No doubt. Yep. Push came to shove. Every school that I took a visit on wanted me to walk on. And yeah. that's where I was like, I think that was like my ego blow mm -hmm. that, that just burst the bubble. And my mom's like, you know, have you ever thought about going to a college that and every school I was like looking at was only for football purposes. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's a cool football. It's program. a good football. That's program. a good football yeah. program. She's like, have you ever thought about looking at colleges for reasons outside of football? Like, not really. <laughs> so <laughs> what is this? What then, are those? What know, is this foreign and, language and, you speak? And, and like, that was kind of the reality. Like, okay, NFL is maybe not going to be in the cards, you know? Mm. And so she's like, you know, there's a small school in San Diego. I think you'd love it. I went out there on a visit, fell in love with it. University of San Diego, Went out there really without ever have, having been to San Diego before. Yeah. Huh. Next thing I know, I was there for 23 years. Met yeah. my wife there, and you know we just moved to Salina a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> so that's quite San the Di difference. San Diego has that effect on people. Yeah, you go once and uh, you fall in love immediately, yeah. and especially University of San Diego. I yeah. mean, it's such a beautiful campus, and it's gorgeous. So it's just yeah, I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing, guys. These Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created 
the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out at Sleep Number Store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to Sleep Number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. Moved out there in 1998. And, um, you know, went to the University of San Diego. So you didn't play ball, right? That didn't play ball there, no. I, I did one year at the University of St. Thomas, which is in Minnesota. So when, when the, the house came crashing down, if you will, and, like, I realized I was not going to walk on to a, a Big Ten program. Um, and I already knew I wanted to go to USD, but I missed the window because I didn't apply in time, right? Yeah. So my mom's like, well, St. Thomas is a very comparable program all your credit should easily transfer there. So I went to that freshman year knowing I was going to transfer to the university of San Diego. So I really kind of just went checked out at UT, but I did university of St. Thomas did play football, but again, it was, it was a D three school at that time. Now it's a D one. They actually just got promoted D one double a. Yeah. Well, that's Harbaugh. That's where he got his start. He did USD. Not not St. Thomas. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But but it's also St. Thomas just became a D one double a. Okay. They're playing USD now. So, okay. But um, so uh, one thing you mentioned a couple times is like the insight from your mom helping you through this process. Yeah. Right. I, I, I feel like that's a that's a small number of the population of kids have that resource. Like typically parents are like, hey, go. I'll either help you with your student loans or I'll help you pay for college. But like understanding, OK, hey, what transfers? I mean, that's some intentionality from your mom. Totally. Like to totally be like, hey, look, let, let's look at something that's comparable, easily transferable, like. I know, yeah. I mean, my, neither of my parents, well, my mom went to college, but just like strictly for teaching, right? Yep. My parents wouldn't have had that insight. No, I mean, in hindsight, kind of, well, so even going back to like the, the football side of things, I, my, my parents had no idea like about some of this stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like, I mean, I went out all that blind. Yeah. Like I was learning, I was going like, nowadays you have parents who are basically schooling their kids how to get recruited, right? Like and, they, they in, know what In to like do. junior high. Totally. Yeah. So my, my mom and dad didn't know any of that stuff, you know, and I Which, didn't Which, by have, the way, he's already gotten letters from Alabama for his, for his third grader. True story. <laughs> Saving. No big deal. Um, his third grader's a beast. <laughs> Although you talk about, I, I think I mentioned this, so it's crazy too, just sidebar about the recruiting stuff. So yeah. I remember like Brett Bielema was like the one who was recruiting me when he was the defensive line coach at Iowa. Mm. And then he went on to Wisconsin and I think mm-hmm. he's like a D coordinator now. And no, he's England. a head coach at Illinois. Is that where he's at? Yes. Okay. And they are doing really well. Okay. Yeah. So, and then I but, know all about college sports, <laughs> but then <laughs> the other one, great that, knowledge. the other one that cracks me up. So um, Nick Saban was at Michigan state when yeah. I was there. You oh, know? People always that. forget about that. Yeah. You know? I forgot so, about that for sure. Like those, those were the years when, and then it was Lloyd Carr at Michigan and, uh, you know, Hayden Fry was Iowa. So, but so, so you go to San Diego, go to San Diego and, um, you know, that, that was great. It was a typical California experience kid from Minnesota. I only went home like once. I was going to say, what is that culture shock? Like going from cold and mountains and that outdoors. You said you've seen the campus before. This, this campus is on a hill in San Diego. Okay. Okay. It's when you drive up it, it's this big, huge hill, and you see, like, these picture-perfect palm trees, like, you know, like, up the hill. You literally feel like you're going to paradise, okay? 
And kind of the inside joke there is like they called it, you know, USD for University of Spoiled Daughters. It's very, it's, you know, it's a, okay. it's a private school, but yeah. it's, you know. It's very, very true. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So, you, I mean, <laughs> I, but again, here I am, this kid from a blue collar or with a blue collar background mm-hmm. from Edina, but like I'm looking at all the other kids driving like, you know, state-of-the-art Mercedes, BMWs. Yeah. Like it was, like, it was almost like 90210 a little yeah. bit, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that vision. Um, so, but it was, I mean, I loved it. I loved going to school there. I had a blast. Um, and then, so I was a finance major and, um, I remember like, again, with that, that I've had this weird knack in my life to just to like be at the right place at the right time with people. Kind of like when I was talking about my friends growing up. So now I'm at the school, university of San Diego. And, um, I remember my mom and dad, like they're also, they instilled me, like I had to have a job. Like if you want to have money to like do things like they're going to help me with tuition, but it's up to me if I'm going to like do anything, like have any type of a social life, I got to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, do you guys remember Planet Hollywood? Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. No, the the restaurant Planet Hollywood? Planet Hollywood. No. Oh yeah. It was like, uh, um, I mean, it was like rainforest cafe before it was like very like celebrity center. It was like owned by Schwarzenegger, Stallone and Demi Moore. Yes. I'm in. So I, uh, when that, that, when I knew I was going to transfer so that, that freshman year of college, I was a bartender at the planet Hollywood in Minneapolis. Okay. 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 So I thought like, I, I'm like, Hey, can I, can I keep this job? Can I transfer to San Diego? They're like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Tra- I thought I was going to like go have this job tending bar at the planet Hollywood, San Diego. And then I arrive and then they're like, yeah, sorry. Actually, we don't have any openings, no shifts for you. So I didn't have a job. I'm in my Spanish class day one. I'm like, yeah, I need a job. And this guy, Joe sitting next to me, he's like, well, hey, why don't you come with me? And I didn't know this at the time. Joe's dad was like one of the top donors to the school. Okay. So again, just this unique ability to meet people. For sure. <laughs> so he's like, come with me. We walk and we go to the, um, the alumni office and we walk all the way back and Joe like clearly knows what he's doing. I'm not a transfer. He's a sophomore. I'm like, yeah. who's this guy? Like <laughs> walk all the way to the back. And then we go in this guy's office, uh, John Trifoletti. I remember clear as day. And he was like the alumni director. Okay. And, cool. and, and he's like, you know, immediately jumps up, Joe, how you doing? You know, here he's, he's like, you know, treating this kid like a royalty, right? Of course we know why. Yeah. And, um, he's like, uh, John, this is Tyler. He's new here from Minnesota. You know, he's cool. I just met him. Uh, and, uh, you need to help him get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, Hey, yeah. really could use a favor. It's like, Hey, do it. So yeah. that was interesting because basically then now that I was in Triff's like sites like that helped me all the rest of my college career so like first thing he's like oh actually you know what we we have this opportunity on campus it's a campus job you can work like 10 15 hours you're gonna work um it'd be a student assistant for the president emeritus i didn't even know what the word emeritus meant at the time i still don't know what it means <laughs> okay it's basically <laughs> like with, it's like with honors so i've heard it, it was i like, just didn't know what it meant <laughs> so it was for for arthur hughes uh and he was the former president of the university he would retire but he basically would come on campus like once every two weeks for like an hour i don't know what he would do and my job was to be his assistant so and I got, you know, whatever it was like eight, 10 bucks an hour. So, mm-hmm. but that was my job. And I had it all three years and uh-huh. just knowing for like the connections it was going to make. So, um, you know, they had all, I mean, he has buildings named after him at the university. Oh, like that's all wow. you need to know. Yeah. So then they even did like the Hughes career achievement awards. It's a big black tie gala, you know? So art, art was someone who I went to like, well, Hey, you know, when I was trying to pick a major, like what, what do you recommend? You know? And, and, you know, he's the one who gave me the advice you know, like, listen, if you want to be in business, 
you know, and your passion's marketing. Cause I told him I liked marketing, right? Yeah. He's like, the thing is you're going to be limited out if you do a marketing major. Yeah. It's like, if you go for, for finance, you're gonna be able to do that. And then some it's like, and even if you go all the way, he's like, even though it's dry, if you can handle it, go for accounting because you're gonna learn all the fundamentals <laughs> and wish. you can no, still I do wish I'd have gotten that advice. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't handle accounting. I just, yeah. that was too much for me. So I went with finance. Yeah. Um, but even going back to Triff then, like the alumni director, I could walk in his office. I mean, he lined me up with internships yeah. every time I needed it. So I, I interned for like UBS Payne Weber overlook on the, on the fifth floor, overlooking the Pacific ocean in La Jolla with a, one of the top producers, a guy named John Cyber, just all those opportunities, all because of like meeting Joe Viola, you know, just, it's crazy. You said a second ago, you liked marketing. What, what do you mean by that? What, what did you like? I just about like, marketing? like the creative aspect of it, you know, like I liked marketing like it was always fun to me to be creative i like doing things like on my computer back then that okay. was like you know the beginning of that and so um it is funny though like, i mean i look back at the stuff that i learned from from a marketing uh, perspective in college and i mean this is like when the internet was just getting going yep. right yep. what years are we talking here i graduated 2001 okay. so i remember like the, those classes would have been in 2000 2001 gotcha. you know it's funny because i also liked football i remember one of my one of my senior thesis projects i had to do is like when the the original xfl launched you know oh yeah and we had to do a whole oh, breakdown wow. he hate me. yeah we had to do a whole breakdown of like their marketing it's funny because back then like one of the critiques was well their website's not good because it's all black you know and that's too hard to read on for people on computers and stuff, but, uh, it's, it's pretty funny to, to kind of think back all that. But, um, so, so going back to the internships, I had two internships in, in college. I had one as a sales and marketing internship with another guy, uh, who was an entrepreneur. He was a former alumni of USD, mm -hmm. um, Sean McEckern, and he started a company called inflatable design group. I don't know if they're still around. He was a pioneer at the time. He's the one who basically was the first guy to do those giant inflatables that you see in football stadiums. Like, so he did the one for the Cowboys. I remember okay. that was yeah, one. Yeah, like, like the big, star that you run the, through. Or the helmet. That, remember the, the helmet, helmet oh, that yeah, people yeah, yeah. run through? I was literally, I was at a high school football game last week and I was literally thinking, I wonder who invented these. Yeah. Uh, that's and that makes yeah. sense because they didn't have, so I graduated high school in 2003. Yep. And they didn't have nobody except the super rich schools. Yeah. Well, that, so my, my job, that internship was a sales and marketing internship. And my yeah. job was to sell to the small colleges. So like, okay. my first sale was like Montana state. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't remember what they were called, but, uh, you know, that's what, that's what I did. The and Grizzlies, right? Grizzlies. The Grizzlies? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Stuff. Yeah. And that's right. Cause I remember it was like paws, like grizzly yes. claws yep. coming out. Yep. So, uh, I had that internship and I, and I liked it. I enjoyed it. And like, that was mm. sales and it's a form of marketing. Yeah. Right. You know, Hey, there's sports marketing is what it was called. But there was also like this negative mystique about sales. And I think that's yeah. slowly kind of shed over time. But yeah. back then, agreed, agreed. I feel like everything else was kind of like we go through phases. And mm -hmm. so that phase, it was all about Wall Street. This is like yeah. when I don't know if you guys remember the movie Boiler Room. Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted to be in finance like like oh, in yeah. 99, 2000, 2001. Um, so that's kind of where my, I'm like, well, maybe I don't know if sales, like, oh, that's kind of sleazy and yeah. grimy. And yeah. so then I got that internship at Payne Weber. I hated that job. Even though it was a cool view, I couldn't stand it. Like looking at stock charts all day mm. and, and just like trying to like measure ticks and, you know, it just was not my kind of thing. So, but I felt peer pressure to that. So when it came time to like weigh my career opportunities, I went and worked for a company called Nicholas Applegate. And um, it's an institutional finance. Yeah. If you do that, you usually work in New York, Chicago, or San Francisco. There's happened to be Nicholas Applegate in San Diego. I got hired on there, so I stayed. Um, 
in, in hindsight, like I mean, I, the whole podcast is the one shot, and like that's my whole thing is like you got to follow your gut. And yeah. like I've mm-hmm. I've had instances in my life where I realized I didn't. Yeah. You know, I fell victim, maybe not victim, but I fell into the trap of going under the peer pressure of something else. Yeah. And it backfired, you know, so um, everything happens for a reason. But so I'm, I'm sitting there at Nicholas Applegate and I graduated May 2001. Here it is, September 11th, 2001. We all know mm-hmm. what happened then. Like yeah. four months later, I'm literally miserable out of my mind. I'm working on the 32nd story of One America Plaza. It's this Cool building still to this day, downtown San Diego. Looks like a screwdriver. Yeah. Was, you'll recognize it from all the movies and like the skyline shots. And my cubicle was at least against the window. So that was cool. So I could look out into the <laughs> see some water and, yeah. and see buildings. But like I I could wake up and get my my work. I, we had to work market hours. So I'd okay. be at the office at like 630 because that's when the, yeah. uh, the market opened yep. in California. I could get my work like literally done in like three hours. And... Nothing is more painful, like, than, like, being, especially if you're kind of a high achiever. Yeah. To not be challenged. And, like, to to work from the 6.30, 9.30 and get, like, literally where I could say I've done my work for the day, like, is miserable. And I was miserable. And so I I couldn't stand it. Called my parents. Wanted to quit. 9.11 happens. And, you know, because, again, I was, like, thinking, like, I'm living this Wall Street lifestyle. I'm doing it in San Diego. Like, miserable. I shared this apartment downtown with this guy and we had like the pictures of, of the world trade centers. This is before nine 11. We had it like as a big part, we kind of had this like New York city vibe in our, on our, our apartment, you know, like all black and white, very, you know, just Breaks like lounge-ish. Yeah. yeah. And so we had an issue where the maintenance guy had to come up that day. So we all got sent home early because of nine 11, mm-hmm. um, my building, because it's right across from Coronado, which is a military base. Everybody was like freaking out that that was going to go under attack. So, you know, got sent home. It's like 10 in the morning, maybe California time on nine 11. And the maintenance guys came up and they saw the, those buildings. And I remember them that this is where it was really eerie. They're like, looked at the picture, like, and they're like, no moss. Like they, they made the connection. Like those towers just went down. Mm. And that was kind of like my wake up call. One thing I kind of omitted from that story. I almost took a job with pain or uh, with, yeah, with, with UBS pain Weber in New York city. And I would have been in the world trade center. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's where I'm like, man, like, that's kind of eerie. Like, that is eerie. you know, and now granted everybody lived from that firm and all that, but that's when I'm like, life's too short. And I remember calling my mom like a week later, like I'm gonna quit. And this is like back when you don't quit. No. I'll say, what did your dad yeah, think of this? You know, having a job for 50 years. I feel like nowadays, like it's totally acceptable. Yep, Kids yeah. can get it. But b- back in 2001, like you go to your job, no matter what, you got to stick it out like a year. Right. And I'm like, I can't handle this. Like, I'm going to quit. And they were, they were supportive. They were cool. But they're like, well, what's your plan? And like when I was in college, I, I opened up a PF Chang's. Like that's how I made money too, in addition to work for Dr. Hughes. So I'm like, well, I can, I, I have my contacts there. I actually made more money there than I was making at my first job out of college. Huh. Told my parents that. Enough to be said right there. Yeah. So yeah, went and waited tables to figure it out. Loved football still. Yeah. The Super Bowl is coming to San Diego. And I found this thing called the, the San Diego International Sports Council, which was the, basically the governing body, which puts on the Super Bowl. Mm. So I did some digging, and, and uh, basically they had this internship opportunity and applied for it. They brought me in you know, with a few other people. I wound up getting it. It's a non-paying internship, though. It's a one-year, no pay, because, of course, they can do that. Yeah, and, of course. Oh, you work for the NFL? Yep. Yeah. Um, 
So I took that, and uh, this is like two. This is two thousand. That Super Bowl is two thousand three. So this job did start in like early part of two thousand two. Yeah. You know, it was like a year, year and a half out or whatever it was, and so did that and basically was a media PR internship. And so my boss there, his name was Rick Schloss. He owned a PR firm. He was super dialed into to sports marketing. He was like the PR guy for the Chargers in the 70s, worked for the Broncos, I think, in the 80s, then came back and did some, some stuff there. Great guy, um, one of my mentors to this day, like I said. And um, basically this is, again, this is like when the internet was just getting going and he's like, so Kai Snyder was our director He's now the athletic director at USD. And then Ron Fowler was actually the chairman. He's the owner of the Padres now. So this is all like really kind of fascinating. It's all connected. Yeah. But um, they're like, yeah, we're going to launch a website. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it hadn't been done yet. Right. Yeah. And they, yeah. They, they knew I liked computers. And I'm like, and so like, I'm not going to say that I built the website. I didn't do that. They hired someone else. But my job was basically be the webmaster and maintain it. So I'm like the one putting all the updates for all the events that are happening around the Super Bowl. And as you guys know, you've been to Super Bowls. I saw you did their podcast interviews. I mean, it's a it's a two week convention oh, with a football a game attached to it. Big, yeah. big deal. Yeah. So yeah. there's so many events going on, and the host committees are usually the ones putting all that stuff. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember our our can't imagine the people that you came across in that time, oh. like especially like the week of, but like the people that are involved in. It. You already mentioned yep. a handful, but the people that are coming through that that are involved in it, oh. the legends, the up and comers, uh, especially being in the, the, from the PR side. So my job going into the Super Bowl was to work. There's a team of three of us. Right. And like we had to set up in the media center. We were basically the, the, the resources to help the media out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember when PTI just got started, part of the interruption. Yeah, so I remember oh, yeah. seeing Michael Wilbon and, and what, uh, what's his name? Like them coming in the early days, John Clayton, yep. you know, he yep. was coming in and it was cool, but um, this is actually, this is kind of maybe like, it's cool, but it's a little bit embarrassing. About three weeks before the event, um, we get a fax because when fax machines are going down, and uh, it's from the league office, and they're like, hey, they're, you know, the NFL. Do you know Jim Steig? No. So Jim Steig was like, he worked for the NFL for like 30 years, and his, he's basically the guy who like invented the Super Bowl. Like he's huh. the one who like made it what it is, okay? <laughs> so he's the, it was like, his title was like, I think like vice president, director of events okay. or something like that. So he's basically the one who's responsible for all the big events in the NFL. So his office sends this thing to our, our office and my boss, Rick looks at me. He's like, you lucky son of a bitch. I'm like, what? And he's like, and he just throws it at me. And it was like, basically like, Hey, Miss America's coming and we need a, you know, a younger male to be her, <laughs> to be her host, you know, for, for I think the word was escort. Is what, for, I mean, I, I mean it, not in yeah, the bad terms, yeah. but literally just <laughs> pretty much there to escort her around the city. So, it, it, and like that's essentially what it was. <laughs> so, so, so to your point though, like that's where I really got to meet some cool people. Yeah. Cause like, there's one thing like going to the Super Bowl, and then there's like going to the Super Bowl with VIP treatment. So yeah. we were sitting in like Alex Spanos's suite, who's the owner of the charters, mm -hmm. literally in like our own little private balcony, you know, and that, that's just the game. All the events before, like the Taste of the NFL, which I'm sure they still have, yes. like, you know, they had yeah. celebrity galas, fashion shows, the commissioner's party. Yep. Like I got front row access to all that stuff, which was really cool um, with, with Erica. So her name's Erica Harold, And uh, she's actually, I think she's like, 
should know this. I don't know. For a while, I know she was like getting into politics. So okay. I don't know if she's, she's, she's a subscriber to the show. She's smart. She's probably, I'm she's listening, listening right now. There, there's, there's some Googling going on right she, now. She, uh, she went to like Harvard law after all that. She's one of the smartest people wow. I've ever met. Yeah. So, um, so I got to do that and yeah, got, got to meet a lot of cool people. So kind of the ongoing joke, one of my best friends to this day, who was another intern with me, you know, we both like, we, we put in our time during that internship mm-hmm. up until of course the, you know, when the event actually took place, he's sitting there literally in a tent in the parking lot of Qualcomm stadium, <laughs> watching the game on a black and white little TV. And I'm like, you know, sitting in the 50 yard line in a suite in an yeah. owner's suite with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger before he was governor, you know? <laughs> so that is awesome. Um, so, but that, that, you know, so all my responsibilities of course prior to that were revolved around marketing, the website, mm-hmm. Um, and then interestingly enough, how I got into my next career was because of that with Erica. So yeah. one of the events we went to was the, the, was it the commission? We're at the commissioner's party and I'm from Minnesota, a big Viking fan growing up. And I met Charlene McCombs there. So Charlene McCombs was the wife of red McCombs who mm-hmm. at the time he was the owner of the Vikings. Yep. So Charlene, you know, she was like a big supporter of Erica Harold and her platform yeah. like with Miss America. She was involved with that stuff. So of course I met her. And then, um, so interesting enough, Erica's platform was like celibacy and abstinence. Okay. Mm. And so here I'm at all these cool parties and I'm like, as a 23 year old, of course I would love to like have beers and stuff, but yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm drinking like a Coke. Right. Yeah. And so Char- working. Yeah. doing my job. And so Charlene's like, you know, what do you think of her platform? I'm like, yeah, I think it's great. And I support that. And you know, I'm doing what I can to support it here. And She's like, well, I love hearing that. And she's like, so you're a Viking fan. She's like, come with me. And she like walks me over and introduces me to like Mike Tice. You huh. know, hey, Mike, this is Tyler. He's from Edina. You know, and then he, you know, he, anyway, just all that stuff. And Mike like, well, Tice, for those of you who don't know, uh, was the Vikings head coach for a little bit. He was um, offensive line coach. Offensive line coach before. Yep. I played, hey, actually, I played for Mike in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, but the whole Mike Tice deal was the boat party, right? Oh yeah. When he was yeah. in Minnesota, they were doing well and no, they lost. They were, it was a losing season, I think. I don't know. But they had just lost. And yeah. They, they, and it did, yeah. Yeah. A bunch of inappropriateness the, on the boat. The, is the what team went, on. the team. Yeah. But so, so Mike, um, you know, and, and kind of going back to even like, and I don't, I, I have to put a pin on that story, which we should, I want to go back to eventually later, remind me about this, about like, if you did want a career in sports, cause like, yeah. Sometimes you look about like if you connect those dots, I probably had an opportunity to do something there yeah. that I could have done that I didn't do. Yeah. Um, meaning like knowing what I know now, like, yeah, yeah. what I know now, like when you see, if you look at the trends in sports, like you're seeing guys who are now getting opportunities to make, be general managers, coaches or whatever, because they, maybe they were a division three player or whatever. Yeah, I mean, look at like, like did Mike McDaniel play? I uh, played at Duke. Yeah. Did he play? Okay. Or, so he did play. Yale. I'm sorry. Yale. He did play. Okay. Yeah. So I like, really? Yeah. He was a receiver. He's tiny and tiny, dorky and tiny. Wow. Not dorky. He's just super smart. smart. Just because he's smart, dorky. Ben, doesn't mean he's a dork. <laughs> he looks like, yeah, no, he doesn't look like a football no, player uh-huh. at all. But like anyway. in, at that time, no one was there to tell me, like, listen, if you want a career in sports, there's other ways you can go about doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and Mike probably through Charlene would have like, I probably could have gotten a, a job fetching coffee to start. Right. For sure. On the coaching staff or For something. Sure. Right. Yeah. But that wasn't even on the radar. Right. Yeah. But I do remember Charlene asked me, like, well, what are you going to do after this? And I'm like, well, i got to figure that out. And she's like, well, what are you into? And I was just talking about stuff. And she's like, well, you know, if you like sales and marketing, you know, Red's one of the biggest shareholders of Clear Channel. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And so 
literally pretty much site, you know, she, she got me a job within like a week at Clear Channel San Diego. So there was still follow-up after Oh, we, we, we would write letters. I was like see, pen pals with see, Charlie but McCombs. But that, I, I feel like that's a skill that people, because there's so much just like empty talk, right? When yep. you're out at events and you're talking and you're doing stuff, right? It's like, oh yeah, yeah I'll help you out. I'll do this. There's so much of that everywhere. No. But like to actually follow up, I think, and to actually stay connected is, is a, a very good characteristic that people just don't have anymore. No. So she, so I met her there and again, this is like, I mean, I think I had a, I mean, I had a cell phone, but this is before you would like text people. It was yeah. like just for emergency calls only. And snake. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> so Charlene basically got me. So, I mean, yeah, I went through a few interviews, but pretty much the, the job was rubber stamped. Here's this guy. Charlene yeah. says the higher, higher. So I'm at uh, Clear Channel San Diego, owned 11 radio stations at the time. They were one of the largest ownership groups. Now it's iHeartMedia. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I start off in sales at like the, the top 40 radio station called Channel 933. Now these are, it's sales, so you got like a base, but it's like heavily commissioned job. Yeah. So I'm not making a lot of money, right? And my boss like, listen, we're gonna do this, so you gotta like cut, because I was also always having a side hustle, like yeah. waiting tables or whatever to make ends meet. San Diego wasn't cheap still, no. especially if you wanna have a social life. Yeah. And so he's like, you got to like cut everything and give this a go. And I'm like, all right, done. So I did that. And now bring this back to my space. Like, I think I made like my draw was three grand a month. You know, that's it. Mm. <laughs> and then, and that, that means if you don't make your commissions, you got to pay it back too. Yes. By the way. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. Draw versus commission. We're, yeah, we're in a, we're in that type of business. <laughs> so three grand a month, not a lot of money, you know, and, um, you know, would, would come home and like, I didn't have a cable or anything like that. So like my entertainment was like, what's on the internet, you know? And so mm. that's how I discovered MySpace, and had that job did well. Like, I think my first year, like I made like 55 because oh, yeah. I was doing pretty good, Super but still, um, yeah. but then I, I created MySpace profiles for the radio station. Like didn't tell my program director, didn't tell my <laughs> boss. Cause I'm like, this is pretty interesting. Like people are going to like want to be friends with the radio station. Like yeah. and, and the, and the channel, it was channel nine, three, three, our audience was, of course, teeny boppers. It was a bunch of teenage girls who loved Britney Spears, Britney Spears, Katy Perry, all that stuff. Well, this is pre Katy Perry. Yeah. But um, so I created these MySpace profiles and I had some successes. So I had a boss who's a, a mentor and now he's a good friend of mine named Jason. And while I was young, he's he, he had some other reps on the on the a lot of people in that kind of business. If you get like, these annual advertiser accounts, you can make a good living really doing nothing like a client, like a Pepsi, for example. Yeah. Pepsi's gonna spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on your radio station regardless because mm -hmm. you're reaching teens, right? Yeah, right? You get that account, you're getting those commissions and you didn't really earn it. I mean, you earned it, but like you didn't have to work for it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So we had a new boss come in and we had a, a senior guy on the staff who'd been at the radio station for a long time, making probably 250 a year, mm -hmm. but literally rolling in the office at 11 and leaving at one, <laughs> you know? Uh. And so um, Jason came in and you know, he, he saw like me kind of hustling and I, I actually wound up and this actually, you know, my wife, Stephanie, yeah. Stephanie, like I, she's helped me with my career in so many indirect ways. So I was working in radio. She was working in television. We have this annual concert. They, they still call them like Wango Tango in LA, New York and San Diego was called your show at the time. And they bring in all these big headliner artists and it's a big one day kind of festival concert. And this is 2003 ish and of 2003 going to 2004. 
And Jessica Simpson, I know a lot of people want to make fun of her. At that time, she oh, was one of the biggest stars. She was it. Okay. Yeah, she, she was, was it, it with Nick yeah. Lachey and all that. Yep. And they had a show on um, MTV, MTV called Newlyweds. Yep, yep. And she uh, made a, like a snafu on there where she did not know like the chicken of the sea she, was, was tuna. tuna. She thought it was chicken. Yeah. Well, she was the headliner at the conference or the, not the conference, the, the concert. So Steph's like, she's working in, we, we were like, went on a few dates. Yeah. Not dating, dating, not at this dating, point. just a few dates. Yeah. And she's like, but she worked in radio or television. I worked in radio. So very similar stuff. She's like, so rivals kind of, <laughs> yeah. But she's like, ah, you know, you know, it'd be perfect for you to like call on as a new rep, like who should be sponsoring your concert is like chicken of the sea. Cause of that whole thing. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's right. She's like, but you can't do that right now because like, I'm trying to pitch them a big deal. I still did it. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, prove myself. Wound up selling the title sponsor, okay, to, to Chicken of the Sea no for this concert. Way. And, like, that does not happen in this industry. Like, a 23, 24-year-old, I can't remember exactly how old I was, like, comes in and does that. Yeah. That said so that my boss was like, why don't we have more reps doing what Tyler's doing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, this yeah. is, like, Pepsi should be spending more than Chicken of the Sea. <laughs> for a concert that's bringing a bunch of like, you know, 12 year old girls. And so, um, his exception speech to that comment, by the way, was, I, I know, thank you. Yep. I thought of this all by myself. <laughs> I'd like to thank me. Had no help at all. Had no help at all. I'd like to thank me <laughs> for my hard work and creativity. Yeah. So, so, uh, sold that. So then like, you know, later, like probably like four months later though, then that's when, um, he's like, you know, he's like, Tyler, I'm going to give you a Pepsi. It's like the largest account on the station. He's like, but you got to grow the sponsorship revenue. Mm. So that uh, at that time for the radio station, they were maybe spending like, I don't know, maybe $20,000 a year just on sponsorships. Okay. Like this is outside of ad buys for what's on the spot or like mm. radio commercials. And I, I mean, over the course of two years wound up come like we did, it was the first time and it was like unprecedented at the time. It was like 2005. We did studio naming rights. Like nobody did oh, that. Oh yeah, then. yeah, yeah. We literally had them sponsor like our, our midday show, like yeah. brought to you by mm -hmm. Diet Pepsi. Like we would like crack the can, just uh, new stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the Diet Pepsi studios or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did all that and sold those. And then, um, but then they kept like, well, what else you got? What else you got? And that's at that time, I like was building up the MySpace profiles. Yeah. And then, I don't know how much you guys know about radio. It's totally archaic now, but back then they would do radio remotes where you'd go to the grocery store and you'd see the radio station broadcasting oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. live. They, yeah, and they still like do that. Yeah, they still do them, yeah. So, you know, they, they would always want those for like their merchandising partners, so like the grocery store chains. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem is like not a lot of people would show up at those, yeah. right? But they would give like really cool merchandising kits. Like they'd give away like Xboxes or like just cool, you know, prizes. So that's when I started like promoting it through MySpace, and I noticed we would see, like more traditionally we'd maybe have like ten people show up. Yeah. Now we're getting like hundred people showing up, Dang. <laughs> and that's when I'm like, wow, like there's something to this. There's something mm -hmm. to social media. Yeah. So that's that's really like my. So that's what kicked off the that's social what kicked media. Kicked it all off. Where I'm okay. like, okay, there's, there's something some power there. there. And I was like younger still, and then I got promoted with those successes into management at iHeart in mm -hmm. San Diego. I think I was like 27 at that time. And I'd still like work with my reps and try to incorporate as part of our programs. But a lot of the agencies would still like kind of like frown upon it. Like, yeah. oh, that's for kids. That's for teens. Like, why? Yeah. Like, you know, they didn't see the value in it. So then in 2009. Because there, was there a way to track it? There wasn't really no. a true way to like track the. No, because even MySpace never really. So so when I started the agency then. So I, I left. Didn't, didn't you have a profile, a, a view counter? Was there a view? Was that what it was? I don't remember. I thought, that, I think they, that they didn't was. have business pages. Like, so everything was like, just you create a profile, yeah. you know? And, and that's why there could be fake accounts and all that. And yeah. so, but I, 
you know, the, like but I, I even kind of stopped that the radio using. Doesn't know about what's that? Like the fake radio station accounts that the radio station doesn't totally. know about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I do remember what's funny. So I got promoted into management, and then I, you know, in full transparency, like even though I, I like bought in, like now I'm not directly like selling to like the clients my reps are. Mm. So I kind of like you know I still had those profiles, but like it wasn't like a top priority. Yeah. And I remember one of my newer reps who was like one or two years out of school was on Facebook, and this is like 2007 maybe. Yeah. And I remember being like, that's dumb. Like, yeah. That's not gonna work. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not gonna work. Why well, was something only for college because it's gonna work? I remember that was like my first thought. Yeah. And so I mean, going back to this whole original conversation, like I have seen it all. So because I remember when Facebook was like the TikTok. Yes. You know, I remember when it was Instagram when it was a TikTok, and I also remember the failed ones like Vine. Yeah. You know, um, which it had is, a short run there. Had a short run, yeah. or you know, I mean, Snapchat even like a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So Pinterest. I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting some now, but. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I, I remember like in 2009, I went, you know, uh, that's what coming out of the recession, 2008 yeah. housing crisis, Clear Channel decides that, you know, they, they were a publicly traded company. They were going back to being private, banally bought them back. And um, basically like they overpaid. And so of course with the recession, they're like, we got to cut workforce. So it was one of the most like craziest experiences I've ever had. I'll never forget it because it was uh, January 20th, 2009, the day that Barack Obama was going through his inauguration. Mm -hmm. He was just selected. And I don't know if you know anything about PR, if you have bad news to deliver, when do you deliver it? Fridays. Well, or you deliver it on a major news day. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, okay. Because it gets buried in the papers, right? Yeah. So Clear Channel, which at the time is like the largest media company, um, is about to lay off probably, I, I don't know, 1,500 people or whatever. So they, did, of course, decided to do it on January 20th when the whole world's focusing on the first inauguration of an African-American president yeah. for the United States. And it was like a bloodbath because like every hour and the hour, they're just calling people in and letting them go, letting them go. So my boss, Jason, he was the GM. I was the, the LSM. And we were the only radio station that was like meeting budget, exceeding expectations, everything. He got called around like 11. He got you know, let go. Oh. And my staff, we had a staff of 10 at the time. Like they, they, are you our boss? I'm like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> for now. We'll find out in a few minutes. So, um, and, and mind you, my wife and I had gotten married like a month before. And then the next, like literally the next day, we were supposed to go to Tahiti on our honeymoon, delayed honeymoon. Mm. So was like, she's still, uh, with clear channel. No. Yeah. She, or she was still with time Warner. She was okay. at time Warner at this time. time. Okay. So I was at, at clear channel. So like 4.58, my phone rings, my desk phone, it's of course the offices and I get called in and um, the guy, I'm not gonna mention him now, but he's, he's even a mentor to this day though, okay? Yeah. So he's, he's, he was the VP director of sales, wasn't his call, but he had to deliver the news with the market manager and they're like, hey, you know, unfortunately just nationally they cut all LSMs. He's like, but we don't wanna lose you. We loved what you've done with the digital, wanted to talk, talk about creating a new role for me basically spearheading a lot of the new media stuff at, at iHeart in San Diego. And, but I also knew just with being in management, I had, there was a door number two for me, which was a nine month severance package with my, what I was making. And I'm mm -hmm. like, thanks, but no thanks. Like, and uh -oh. I'm like, I, I, I think I want to go do, this is my opportunity to go start something on my own. Yeah. That was it. That had was, you thought about it prior to that conversation? Had you already kind of like, Hey, I feel like I've learned, I've, I've learned the industry. I've kind of created even a little niche yep. that not necessarily that you're held back, but you're limited on what you could do. Right. Cause you don't have 
full control and freedom on what actually you can yeah. do on that. I, I knew I wanted to be in business for myself because like nothing's worse than like being at the mercy of someone else, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I wanted that. And I just going back to those memories of being a kid in Edina, like I want to be like a Steve Simon. I want to be like a Roger King. I want to have that. And so um, I remember like, you know, so, so when they offered me that, I'm like, you know, oh, man, I'm supposed to go my honeymoon tomorrow. They're like, hey, go on your honeymoon, take 30 days, come back, let us know. And my parents were in town to dog sit, you know, because we were, we were going to Tahiti. What's that? They hooked you up. So 30 day honeymoon? Yeah, come on. Well, <laughs> so, well, but, but I didn't want to go with the Luminova. So I remember um, going out to dinner with my parents that night and Steph, and we're, we're kind of newly married. And I remember telling my parents, like, I think I'm going to turn it down. And they were, again, like, they thought that was a terrible idea. Because yeah. how do you give up a, yeah. you know, the, the, what you know, yeah, how do you give right. that up for what you don't know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we'll figure it out. I have some ideas. And so talk about a really odd feeling though, like going to Tahiti and it might've been like, maybe like when you finally decide you're gonna retire. Cause like that was your identity, I assume. Mm-hmm. And then you don't know what you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Like you have a career and then all of a sudden to not have it. And to be like in a mature age of like mid twenties or whatever. I remember like being at the airport and be like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're here on our honeymoon. Oh, what do you, where are you from? San Diego, what do you do? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I didn't have a job. Like it was a Hopefully bizarre the end of this trip. I'll <laughs> yeah. have an idea. Yeah. We, we actually talked a few weeks ago, wild problems versus tame problems. Yeah. Tame problems means there's a lot of facts, a lot of data, a lot of yeah. support for these issues. And you know what your clear answer is. You were faced with a wild problem, which was, I don't know. Yeah. What, yeah. I don't have any yeah, past experience no, with this. I don't, there's no, no path. Yeah. There's no, no path. Yeah. I've just got to go with my gut. Like you said earlier. Totally. So what, what sort of fear was there? Starting your own thing, recession, never done this before. Nope. What, what I mean, was nine, nine months was nice. I'm not going to lie. Like yeah. having a nine month cushion, no, I didn't have to worry about paying our bills for that, yeah. that long was definitely helpful. But that, that I kind of looked like that was like my seed capital, right? Yeah. Now I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know I was going to start an agency. I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what it was. So you knew you wanted to start your own thing, yeah. just not sure what happened. I did not have the exact blueprint of like, yeah. I'm going to start an agency. Now that was one of the ideas. So I remember I have a cool photo because again this is like pre iphone with everybody i mean we had steph had the iphone but it was before they had like cameras on all of them that yeah. were awesome yeah, yeah so i have a picture of me in tahiti and like i'm just like i remember that that very well like it was probably good that we went to a, a honeymoon like that where it's really just a lot of relaxing downtime yeah. not like we're doing a bunch of activities because mm-hmm. really all i was doing was like reading books like you know how to win friends influence people yeah. all the classics again re, mm-hmm. you know hitting the reset button flipping through like entrepreneur magazine all that stuff and and that's those are my photos of me on like those overwater cabanas just doing that was anxiety and fear the the main feelings at the time or was excitement and and discovery what- i'd say a mix of both for yeah. sure yeah i mean because so i had the idea i remember talking about the ideas with people i remember so the actual quote unquote age, I had three ideas kind of coming out of there. Okay. One, uh, the easy one, cause Steph also had a real estate license. Yeah. I thought like, I can always go into real estate and knowing mm-hmm. what I know with marketing, I could really crush that. Okay. Yeah. At least I thought I could. And, and we had already bought a bunch of domain names. Like I live playing off the iPhone. I, yeah. we did like, I live San Diego. I live Phoenix. I live Las Vegas. And we were thinking like, we could start like a brokerage firm like that uh-huh. and have it. So we had yeah. all those domain names. Then I'm also, then the other side of me is like, well, huh, we could start like a social platform. Like what if you had like a, I live San Diego social network where people who live in that community can do it kind of like a next door. Yeah. But this is all then I even went so far during that time to meet with like developers, mm. you know, attorneys like drafting it up. But then like that would have been a huge undertaking. So, yeah. Expensive. And, uh, you know, smokes. expensive. Yeah. And so, and then door number three 
was like, well, I can just go do like consulting on social media. Like that's the thing. Like it's starting to come up. And my, my, my boss from the Super Bowl, Rick, who I said is a mentor, he had a PR firm too. So I remember meeting with him at a Chili's for lunch. I'm like, you know, what do you think of this? Like, would people like pay this? He's like, Tyler, I have like five clients who will pay for that tomorrow. Huh. Huh. And so he literally got me an in with a startup called Bucks Back. And I remember Steph and I were at the San Diego County Fair. And I remember meeting with him a couple of times. And like, it was like June 30th, 20, 2009. Um, you know, like they, hey, let's, let's do it. Here's a contract. You know, I sent a contract. They signed it back. I'm like, I guess we're in business. And that was like okay. the beginning of doing this first <laughs> so, client first client the hardest takes one. one so yeah. and then and i went with a lot of my relationships i had in san diego from the radio days and mm. and i remember i'd had some other like proposals out there then they all i like, came within like a 30-day window and next yeah. thing i had five clients and we're making like 10 grand a month and huh. like that was it that yeah. was the beginning of casual fridays so <laughs> and now did you start it and the company was called casual fridays no, right off the bat it's actually a good story so um one of the other, I, I forgot to mention this. So like when I was still formulating, like, what's this going to be? I knew th this is kind of a blend of influencer marketing. Cause yeah. like at the radio station, I would see how much money our talent would get paid to show up for these radio remotes. Right. Yeah. Yep. And like, no one's really like saying hi to these. I mean, I love these guys. They're some of my, my dear friends this day, but like, let's be honest, you're a, a midday radio jock in a yeah. small market. Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. You're showing up at a Vons or a Ralph's. Like, do people really care? But they were still getting paid a couple hundred bucks to do that. Yeah. Right. Large part, the brands wanted to have their name or their likeness affiliated to it. So this is like before influencer marketing was a thing. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Like, well, what about their social media like profiles? Like mm. we could, if they're getting paid like 250 bucks just to like show up for a three hour event, like what would we have to pay them for like to tweet about a product or a service, you know? Yeah. So part of me was even thinking like, maybe there's something to do with influencer marketing. So I remember like reaching out to, to some people and, and trying to like build a network. And I was thinking of like even doing that. So before I knew that it was going to like become a consulting thing, I also was thinking maybe it's like an influencer network thing. I wasn't really sure. It was like, who's going to pay me first. Right. Yeah. So I, I named the business hip fluence, which I cringe at now, <laughs> like <laughs> meant to be like, kind of like hip and cool, but influential, yeah. you know? Yeah. And after about three months uh, of doing that, um, I had a couple clients kept always writing the check to hit fluence. <laughs> <laughs> so like, eh, this ain't going to work. Gotta, we got to do something different. And I remember Steph and I being at a Kobe Calais con uh, concert in like early 2009. Come and, on, uh, you name a song that she sings? Absolutely. The, the bubbly. Bubbly. There yeah, that was right. it. Yep. Right. I'm a big Kobe Calais fan. <laughs> so right. I remember yeah. we, were, we were at her concert and I don't know how it came up, but somehow we're just sitting there talking like, you know, it'd be a great name of a band, like Casual Fridays, like just thought it'd be cool or whatever. And this is, this is also, again, 2009, like long before I feel like now every place is like a casual work environment yeah. back then. Yeah. It was still very much, at least in my industry, even in San Diego, it was all suit and tie mm. all the time. Yeah. Worse. So Gosh, yeah, um, radio, honestly, radio sponsor salesmen, like suited totally. and booted. And it's like the big baggy suits cause yep. they can't afford anything nice. Yep. Oh yeah. I, I know those guys. Men's too warehouse. Well. Oh yeah. yeah. I know those guys too well. Two yeah. for two for one ninety nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or buy two, get your third jacket Got free. Got a gray and a navy suit with one red tie. So, um, so yeah. So, so then I, you know, and, and I bought the domain name. Um, just think, I don't know why. I'm, I'm uh, if I have an idea and I think something's cool, I'll, you know, I'll, one of the first things I always do, even to this day, I'll like go see the domain names available. Huh. And just, you know, it's like 10 bucks, you know, just buy it and then you got it. You never know when you need it. And mm -hmm. then, you know, as we shift into other marketing things, like, it, you know, even back then from 2009, 
to today, the barrier to entry to create something like you and I could sit here right now and we could come up with like a crazy idea. And within 10 minutes, we could have it live on the internet. Like literally we could create a web page where even like 10 years ago though, you like, well, who's a developer? Who's a programmer? Right. How are we going to get yeah. that? But now there's like, there's software to help with all that. Yeah. That didn't exist then. And like, if you have a domain name, they'll like quick show you how to do it. And you can literally have something that you can put on the internet tomorrow or in, in an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's nuts. So, so you're, consulting and your focus is social media. How are you learning these platforms? Because I know you were like kind of playing around with them like yep. in your free time, but like, what was the, what was the education on? Okay. What's effective? What's not effective? What, what metrics, what analytics sure. were you using to figure out what was working and what, cause this is pre pre all that. Yeah. yeah. So, well, well, first of all, one of the things I have to give credit to. So when I was figuring out, I want to start a business, I also didn't know like, what, what goes into starting a business, yeah. right? So there's this organization, I, I assume they're still around now, and it was called SCORE, which okay. stood for Service Corps Organization, like Retired Entrepreneurs or something like that. Basically, it's old, old dudes who are retired. Just we don't know mentor. what to do. They just want to mentor people. Mm. Okay? That's awesome. So I, I don't, I'm assuming they maybe have it in Dallas. They had it in San Diego. And they would like have everything from like, you know, how to determine like what type of entity to be, you know, like, should you yeah. be an S corp, C corp, whatever. And you know, some of them were, were CPAs, like how to like read your books, you know? Mm. And it was really cool. But then they started having a few like on digital marketing and not that I learned a ton from like the instructors cause they'd bring in guest speakers. Yeah. Um, it was really just the other people like who were attending those classes. And I remember one, so, so a lot of this space is self-taught, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially so at that time. At that sure. time. So like, interestingly enough, like I remember being in one of those classes, I, I don't remember the woman's name, but I remember her saying like, oh, do you follow Chris Brogan? I'm like, no, who's that? She's like, oh my God, he's a must follow on Twitter. And you know, he had like three or four New York Times bestselling books at that time on various marketing things. So you just kind of find those people. Yeah. That's what I did. And then you'd also learn from, um, like I mentioned earlier, HubSpot. So yeah. HubSpot, the irony is like, I'm a, I'm a client of HubSpot's now, but I did not really become a client until like literally last year. Mm but I've learned from them for like 12 years. So that's all part of the content marketing. They did a great job of that. They have a SaaS product, which basically, you know, they have multiple suites now, but it started off as kind of a content management system, but they also added like a marketing hub and a sales hub. They even have like a, a customer service hub, mm -hmm. but they, they would do like, you know, various social media marketing certifications back in 2009, but it was all like high level. Like it was still like, you know, how to do it. I remember, you know, a lot of the videos back then, like what sold people on social media marketing. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever saw this one. Um, it cracks me up. So one of my first bigger clients was Penske Automotive. Um, oh, yeah. So they're, they're like the second or third largest automotive dealership group. Yep. When I used to, and interestingly enough, this actually goes back to Stephanie again. Stephanie, I swear to God, has helped me like land half my big clients. This is my wife. Okay. If you met Stephanie, you'd be like, oh, I get it. Yeah. She, yeah. when she worked in television, Car guys want to be on TV more than they want to be on radio. Oh, okay? 100%. <laughs> and so, most of the car guys shouldn't be on TV. <laughs> so she she had a better relationship with, anyway, with, with a lot of those guys. So yeah. when we started the agency, she got me in on a meeting with, like, BMW San Diego. Yeah. And, like, when you are in radio and television, if you can get a meeting with a GM, that doesn't happen, right? Mm. So... I remember um, she got me in a meeting with a GM for BMW San Diego. And he's like, this all sounds fascinating. Um, I, I know we need to be doing stuff with social media, but we still have the budget for this. Okay. That, that, that ship sailed. Like maybe two months later, I get an email from him. And his name was Craig Howenstein. Remember to this day? He's like, hey, Tyler, um, can you meet me at the dealership tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, by the way, you're going to be meeting my boss. I'm like, 
Okay. So I pull and up. Th- this is the GM. This is the GM. Okay. And like you never get those meetings when you're a regular radio sales yeah. guy. So I, I show up and he like comes down from his office. And he's like, get in the car. We get in a car. We drive like a five blocks away to some trailer behind. Now, mind you, in San Diego off the 15, there's like the BMW, Lexus. Yeah. There's like seven dealerships on, a, on this big highway, right? They're all owned by Penske or that area. And we, we end up in this like trailer <clears throat> behind it all. And I go and I meet this guy named Alan Perlin. And he's like regional vice president of Penske Automotive. And the, the CEO of Penske was Roger, uh, Roger Hendrick. Yeah, Roger Hendrick, who's like, I don't know if you guys know anything about NASCAR, Hendrick's yeah. Motorsports, oh, yeah. no. all oh, that. Yeah. He does oh, all yeah. that. Anyway, so Alan's like, hey, so Craig says you uh, know social media. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he turns around and he goes like, well, I got this email from Roger. So Roger Hendrick. He, and he opens it up and it's like a YouTube video. And it's one of those ones that just like puts the fear in people like about, you know, face more people post to Facebook in one minute than people yeah. like sneeze and all, you know, all oh, yeah, these yeah. things like, right. you know, and he's like, you could help with all this. Cause like Roger's email said, everybody come up with a solution for this. That's all it was. And he played oh. the video. So yeah, we, we got like the nine Penske dealers in San Diego, just like that. Wow. Um, and these were like good dealerships. Not like, yeah. I'm not trying to make fun. It's not like it's a Kia dealership. Really? You know, sure. It's like BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, stuff like that. And then that turned into Northern California. We did the ones in like Austin, Texas. Next thing I'm talking to people from Penske corporate, you know, and that was all Steph. (laughs) So, um, but, but but going back to answer your question, like no one really even cared about the impact of it. They just were being fed fear. Like this is how you communicate. Yeah. You know, like claim to know it, then you're kind of an expert. And if you can put it together and it looks good. And we we were doing all of it was self-taught. So, yeah. and then it even got to the point, like, I remember in 2011 or 12, uh, my alma mater, USD approached me. They wanted me to like teach a course on it. Hmm. And I'm like, okay. And then it got to the point where they're like, oh, but, um, you have your master's, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, well, you can't teach unless you have a master's. I'm like, oh, I guess I can't teach. And yeah. then they're like, right. and then, but I'm like, but who are you going to get to teach this? Like, like nobody who's going to be a master in social media marketing. Like yeah. there's no courses on that. Yeah. And like, good point. And they actually got the Dean's exemption and I didn't do it just ultimately just because the money didn't work out. But, yeah. um, it, it's, it's a, it's a newfound thing. And even now, like I still have people that we hire who go to colleges and they get like degrees in social media. And I, yeah. I even kind of joked, I'm like, what do you, what do you really learn? Like, yeah. cause yeah. this space changes every yeah. two or three months. Like, yeah. I don't know what, whatever college is teaching you, like can't be relevant. And now I get it. It's probably just like, can you at least learn the application of it mm-hmm. and the principles of it? So a lot of it's self-taught. And then I've just been blessed from having the podcast. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's go into that. Like let's, you, you entered the podcast space in 2012, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show. And this is like, I mean, Joe Rogan had been doing it like two or three years at this point, right? So actually, believe it or not, that's the year he started. Oh, he started twelve. Yeah. I thought I thought he would did it for like fifteen years. Uh, well, okay. he might have started like two thousand nine. I think you're right. Okay. Maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe. So so a couple, couple yep. years, but again, not really a thing because Apple doesn't have the podcast platform. Nope. So like, I think they just started when I got had they, okay. Yeah, they just started. So I had always wanted to have a podcast, although I didn't know what a podcast was. I think maybe because I came from radio. radio I was going to say radio. Space, you know, right? um, were I'm they a, starting to do digital radio? Had they done digital radio they, yet at this point? We we would we would maybe. I'd have to I'd have to really think hard about this. Not uh-huh. when I started. No. So they wouldn't like but post by the, the shows time to the I, website or anything. No, at this no. Point by yet. the time I was in management in two thousand eight, seven and eight. 
maybe we would like you could have it so if you went to like the website you could maybe stream whatever was on the airwaves like live live okay well it be like a slight delay but ma- yeah. that's a big maybe okay okay they didn't have like what it is now um or even think anything we're close but i remember walking through like the the apple store yeah. and um i you know i always use love apple products and all that and they had the yeti blue microphone have you guys have ever seen this thing it's like it kind of looks like an old-fashioned microphone i'm like that just looks so cool and like you know it was like a 300 dollars microphone i remember buying it and plugging in my computer in like 2010. i didn't know what a podcast was but i remember like i would talk for like two minutes about my thought on a certain topic like Mm -hmm. with with marketing and i i mean those were actually embarrassing when i go back and listen to those i'm like yikes (laughs) right so i did that but then like that wasn't like really a a, a, an official podcast because like you'd posting them them? yeah i'd publish them to the website i'd publish them to the website but you're publishing an original audio file which is one it's it was a lot of bandwidth and space it could slow down the web it's all the things you shouldn't be doing from a marketing standpoint from your your website performance right Mm. So then I remember, um, but I, I always like wanted to have a podcast. And then I went to this conference called Social Media Marketing World in 2011. And I remember like, that's when I saw like a session on podcasting. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, like that's when I was hooked. I'm like, I gotta go start a podcast. Went home, ordered on Amazon, like $600 worth of equipment. It all showed up, sat at my desk uh, at my office. I had an office at this time in, in Pacific Beach. And then I went to another conference called uh, Interactive Day. And, you know, like that equipment was just kind of sitting under my desk, right? And so maybe for like a month and a half, two months, mm-hmm. didn't know what I was going to really do. I knew I wanted to have a podcast, didn't even have a title. And I'm at Interactive Day, and, and the keynote speaker was this guy named Rand Fishkin. And at the time, Rand was really well known uh, as like the go to guy with anything with SEO for search mm-hmm. engine optimization. It's the first episode I listened to. He, uh, he was the founder and CEO of like Moz SEO at the time. Mm-hmm. Then it became Moz. He sold it, you know, on his like fifth venture now. Yeah. Um, I went up to him after the, he, he got off stage in the corner. He's answering some questions. And there's probably like 2000 people at this conference. And I went up to him like, Hey Rand, I'm Tyler. And I run an agency here in, in San Diego. Um, hey, I, I have a pot. I kind of lied. I said, Hey, I have a podcast. Would love to have you come on. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll do your podcast. And I kind of figured like, he's not going to fall through. Yeah. Right. right? He's like, just, just email my assistant here. We'll get it scheduled. I went home like the next day and I emailed and I'm thinking he might not schedule this for like months. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he like scheduled like a week later. Wow. <laughs> so oh, I gotta, I gotta get yeah. this going. I, I had to figure, figure how to out how to do a podcast. Wow. <laughs> so if you go back and listen to that first one, you can tell I'm nervous in my voice. Yeah. Um, but I, I did it and everything I learned about podcasting, like you gotta like weekly episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I was hustling and I grinded and like, wow. I just cranked it out. Now this was early though. And I think a big thing, which gave the podcast credibility was getting other big name guests. So right. having like Rand as like my first guest opened the doors for me to get pretty much anybody else in that marketing community. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I had, uh, one of my good friends, he's a good friend now, Joel price. He was the director of social for the chargers, the okay. San Diego chargers at the time. Like he was like, like a fourth guest. So now you throw in like a big name with a big brand. It just made it easier. And were there any p- other podcasts at the time that you listened to that you kind of said, I want to, yeah. So how did you learn So at that conference? Um, so the, the, that was put on by a, a company called social media examiner and they were like a go-to blog about social media marketing. So that's where like, if you were like a social media manager or marketer, that's where you could just go to learn. It was free and they're still active this day. The, the total irony of the whole thing is like Mike Stelzner, who's the founder of that, like he's become a really good friend of mine. 
um, from all this. He lived in San Diego though too. San Diego, I was also kind of lucky. It was like a hotbed okay. of digital marketing entrepreneurs. Now they're not maybe widely known to people nowadays, but for like the OGs, like everybody got started back in 2011. They knew John Lee Dumas. They knew Pat Flynn. They knew Amy Porterfield. They knew Mike Stelzer. They knew Mari Smith. All these people lived in San Diego. Yeah. So I was lucky because I was the there too, as in the, in the same yeah. neck of the woods, got to know them. Um, you guys remember Mashable at all? Yeah. So Mashable was also like one of the first um, blogs to talk about social media news too. So that was okay. like a go-to resource back in the day. In 2010, was it 10 or 11? They're like, hey, social media has become this big thing that we should have a, we should have a designated day. So they kind of did this self-proclaimed June 30th worldwide was social media day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted people to have like meetups. So Steph and I lived in Phoenix for like 10 months. Okay. And it was during that time. And, uh, th- th- this girl, her name is Desiree Martinez. So I actually have had her on my podcast now too. I, looking back on all, she put on a social media day Phoenix event and there was like a thousand people showing up. Cause it's like when meetups were like a big thing yeah. and I, and it was a cool event and they had like tons of cool sponsors. Like this is when pop chips got started. I remember they had like big pop chips pop bags, chips. Love like me some pop chips. throwing out yeah. pop chips. And I was like blown away. Onion or barbecue flavored. Barbecue is hands down the best. Barbecue's good. They're all good. You yeah. can't complain. I can't believe they've been around that long though. They've been around, yeah, oh, 2010. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so sh- I was like, this is really cool. And I'm like, man. And, and then we knew we were going to be moving back to San Diego. So we lived in San Diego for 22, 23 years. Um, we're moving back. We just secured this new hotel partner and they're like, Hey, we, they just went through like a $15 million renovation on this like restaurant. And they're like, we want to bring a, br- a bunch of awareness. To this, what do you recommend? I'm like, well, let's have a big meetup and let's use a big event. Like well, what? Just like flash mobs were popular. Kind of. Yeah. That actually might've been a little after that though. Okay. Okay. So you remember those? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Organized flash mobs. Yeah. So, um, I'm like, let's host a social media day event. And they're like, what's that? I'm like, well, Mashable, like just went all in on this. Like, and so we hosted our first social media day, San Diego event. And we had like, I don't know, a thousand people show up. Huh. Hotel was over the moon happy. Um, and then Mari Smith, who I knew, cause she was like one of the leading experts on Facebook marketing at the time she showed up. And she's like, you, you're the one who organized this? I'm like, well, yeah. She's like, well, being that I'm like kind of like the expert in Facebook, I should be here. And this is really great. You know, have you thought about um, adding an educational component to this next year? I wasn't even thinking about next year. Yeah. And I'm like, to no, that's a good happy. idea. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, okay. So I had her and this girl named Amy Porterfield, who was also local. But they, at the time, they both had like 60, 70,000 Twitter followers. Like yeah. they were like go-to yeah. experts. Gosh, that was and big. yeah. We, that second year, this is 2011, we had like 1,600 people show up. So it was just like a snowball effect. So I had that going for me too, between that and then like saying, hey, I put this on, people were willing to come on the podcast. So, and then like, I I mean, I have to really look back now and think, but like pretty much anybody who's been a big name in that space, I feel like has been on the show. Hmm. So, and then, and then some outliers like, So maybe talk about, because, you know, we've been doing this two and a half years now, but talk about, because you did it from 2012 to 2021. Up until I moved, yeah. Right? So, like, there's that 16, 17, 18, I mean, maybe call it dog days, I don't know, maybe ups and downs, but, like, what, for you, kept driving you to be consistent with with the podcast? Yeah, so, again, going back to, like, who you learned from. So, at that conference, one of the guys I learned from, he... Cause you're talking about like, like Joe Rogan starting it. So there's this guy named Cliff Ravenscraft 
And he had a podcast just called Podcast Answer Man. He basically taught people how to podcast. <laughs> so he's like one of the first podcasters. And he started, I think his backstory, I don't know this fully because I didn't listen back then, but I want to say he got started because him and his wife would do podcasts about, remember the TV show Lost? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. They would just break down. Lost? Yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, the oh, TV yeah, show yeah. Lost. Oh, yeah. There was like a, oh, yeah. a, a bunch of. Is that like uh, historically that, like the yeah. worst ending to any show or yeah. something like that? I, I loved it um, up until the ending. Yeah. So yes, but like it's it's one of those shows that was very super, like sci-fi kind of. And so people would always just speculate like what's going to happen. So they, that's, and that's kind of the appeal with podcasts. That's why I got into it too, is what, what, what was taught to me back in 2011 is podcasts can be niche on yeah. anything. So if you yeah. like gardening, you can go listen to a gardening uh, podcast. Yes. You know, if you like fantasy football, there's a plethora of fantasy football yeah. podcasts now. So, and then so you now you're- Because you liked it. I, I, well, I'm like, well, hey, I can go niche on social media marketing. That's yeah. why I did yeah. it. But- Because gotcha. there wasn't anything when you started- Not a ton of them. Nope. Just on social media marketing. There's a few, but okay. not a ton. Okay. And so, and, and I also, the other thing that was ingrained in me is like, you have to present yourself as a thought leader. Yeah. How do you build authority and thought leadership? You got to create content. I don't like to write. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't want to be a blogger. Yeah. I, I don't mind talking. I could be a podcaster. That was easy for me. Same. So, <laughs> you know. Um, so we've got an idea for you. Tell us, thought leader, very beginning. We're thinking about being like one of the first fitness podcasts. What do you think <laughs> about that? <laughs> There you go. And, and start a never uh, been done before. And start what, a fitness TikTok. Innovators. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Innovators. Right here. I mean, that that's but that's the I mean, so you as somebody who's been in this for a while now, so back in the day, you had to start like a a website, like yeah. a blog. Like yeah. that's why the term blogger came out. Nowadays you'll have people who say like it's like they're not a blogger, they're I'm an Instagrammer. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't even have a website, but they just have their Instagram handle. I was gonna they, say, yeah. has it gotten away? Because for a while it was like, okay, yes, I'd use social media. But I'd still drive to my website. Yep. Like, cause there's, I mean, w w the only blogs I've really read is like if I'm finding something on social media or Pinterest or something like that, it'll take me to like, you know, a, a, a woodworking website. Yeah. Right? Oh, hey, here's how to build a barn door. Here's how to build a table. Here's how to do this. Like, yep. like Anna White is like a big famous one because like they post their plans to the blogs and stuff like that. You, you, you're seeing but, a shift now. Like, so. You don't need the website. You now. don't have to have it, but you should. Yeah. And because like the term we always use, you don't want to build a house on rented land, right? Ah. And at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you're so dependent now on Instagram or yeah. Facebook or YouTube, right? Yeah. And if they decide to like lock your we account don't down. We like your content. You're actually seeing a lot of people who have more controversial topics yep. do that yep. for yeah. that exact reason. Yeah, if, exactly. if they shut me down because yep. I'm talking about something they don't like, I've got to have a backup plan. So, so you like as a practice, you should then like always be, even though it's, people say like, well, email's dead. The counter argument is like, no, people still use it. Mm -hmm. And like, you should always be building your list, right? So yeah, you can have Instagram, but it'd be great if you had like a, a website, it doesn't have to be a blog. I mean, it could just be anything, a landing page and you should be trying yeah. to collect that. And there's, that's what I was kind of going back. There's such amazing tools and software out there yeah. now. Um, I mean, when I, when I started, like you had to, even though WordPress was quote unquote, like an open source, you still had to find a developer who yeah. could like tinker with a theme and make it work. And now you can go like on whether, I mean, some people will, will call them cheesy, but they work like a Wix or, you know, yeah. Squarespace and yeah. there's templates and themes and you can get something created. One I love is called ghost.org. It's all ghost? open source ghost ghost.org. Okay. And they even build like the whole e-commerce platform for you. So like you can literally go create a blog, 
and you can start collecting emails and get subscribers and then you can even have paid walls. So if you can like, Hey, here's my free content, but you want my paid content, put in a credit card, huh. you know, and, and you can literally create this in like two hours <laughs> without a developer. Yeah. So, mm. you know, and pay them nine bucks a month. Big deal. Yeah. You know, the tools so, are there. So getting back to your story. So you start the podcast and then take us through the next couple of years on the business side and how did those two help each other out? I'm assuming. Well, so yeah. And, but business side, but there's the family side of it too, right? Yeah, You're starting so a family. Fa- family's growing. Steph and I got married. You know, that, that's a hard conversation to tell your future father-in-law, like, hey, I'm going to quit my job and <laughs> go try to be an entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. So, but no, we... And, she, and she's originally from Minnesota. She's from Minnesota too, but we met in San, San Diego. Diego. And her family's in Arizona? No, my family's in Arizona now. Your family's my, in Arizona. Yeah, everybody's like, people from Minnesota are snowbirds. They usually go to like Arizona or Florida. Mm. Oh, and her family actually moved to San Diego. Right? Her parents had a condo in San Diego, Got so it. they were there half the year. Got and it. my parents were in Phoenix half the year. Both of them were going back to Minnesota for the summer Got times. it, okay. Um, but yeah, so, so Steph and I got married. I, we started the business. She helped me with the business in the early days, but then we started having kids. So then she kind of took a back seat. And as the business kind of like progressed, you know, she wasn't really involved like through those mega growth years just because she was raising kids. Um, but you know, at first, like we were kind of a general agency. So I'd work with like my first five clients. There's the bucks back, which was a startup. Okay. And they, they actually were a client for like three years, but mm-hmm. it just went away. It was like merchant processing, like rewards programs. Like you enroll your debit or credit card with bucks back. Then you use it at certain merchants and you'd earn like 1% cash back. Okay. Um, anyway, a cosmetology school that had like three locations in Southern California, a designer jean de- denim, like trunk show out of LA, um, a, uh, oh, um, uh, just, a an auto service place called express tire, like 26 locations <laughs> throughout San Diego. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I can't remember the fifth one now. Um, oh, a bridal show, like a bridal, um, conference, like it's called bridal bazaar. Mm-hmm. Like those were my first five clients, right. Yeah. When I was making like the 10 G's, but you know, it, it's kind of interesting. Cause like I learned a, a ton about cosmetology school, like that. I never thought I would have known yeah. from that which part of me kind of joked back in the day, like no wonder we had a housing crisis because you could like go sell multi-million dollar homes with like a weekend crash course and become a realtor. Yeah. But you need 1600 hours oh to cut yeah. hair in California. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 15 grand in yeah. school fees. So but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a good point. I not here nor there, but you know, had all those types of clients, did the stuff with Penske, pretty much yeah. anybody who wanted to work with us, we were down to work with them. So yeah. we had B2B everything. I'd say, um, you know, we, we worked with Jersey Mike subs for like three or four years, nice. like brand, you know, so like solid favorite. sandwich, yeah. <laughs> solid sandwich. It was just uh, anything. But like in 2012, we got our first in with a hotel yeah. and it was for a rooftop bar that that hotel had that looked into Petco Park and it, oh, it was cool. And we did some work with them for like three or four months. And then they're like, hey, you know, can you start helping us with our hotel as well? And we started doing that. That was cool. And then. Um, you know, that's a whole fascinating space. Uh, I was just going to say like, that's, that's, that's a space that has exploded yep. because of influencers, right? That influencer marketing. I mean, or maybe optically it's changed, um, is, is harnessing your social media, but like now you've got this element too yep. of influencers, these travelers that literally make a, oh, they, that's what they do. That's, that's a, we'll, we'll get to yes. that. Yes. That's a sore spot to me too, though. No, I know. And I, yeah. I, and I assume that. So, because, um, yeah. but, but when I'm saying the hotel, like the average Joe and like 
me included at the time, like when I see a hotel and I see Marriott on it and I see another one says like Hyatt, I just think like, oh, it's a, that's Marriott owns that and Hyatt owns that. Right. And so I remember like with this one hotel we had and then they're like, Hey, can you help us? Uh, Or we want to include you in our marketing meetings moving forward because this is like a really big, important initiative to us. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And so I'm like looking at the email when she included me on it and I'm like seeing like, I'm seeing a Marriott email on here, but then I'm seeing like a Stanford hotels email. I'm seeing like three different email addresses and I'm like, I don't get this. So I'm like, Hey Kim, can I ask you a question? Might be kind of dumb. Like who's all the marketing team and like, what's this breakdown? She's like, okay, well we're a franchise. We pay in for marketing with Marriott. That's our ownership group. Like there's like three or four components to this. Right. So fair enough. Start doing that. And I remember the, the woman on that call, her name was Deborah you know, she was from Marriott corporate. And after like about two or three months of these calls, she's like, Hey, can I have a call with you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, Hey, I think I have some other hotels could use your services. I'm like, okay. And next thing we're working with hotels in Del Mar. Then it's like LA, Orange County. Then our hotel in Del Mar, they're like, Hey, can you join an ownership meeting? I'm like, sure. Show up to this ownership meeting. And, and these are like asset managers where their whole job is to make sure these hotels are performing. Yeah. And I remember meeting with this ownership group and this asset manager was one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. And that's why they wanted me on this meeting. They're like, we can't speak to this like you can. And he's going to ask these tough questions. We need you to answer it. I did that after that meeting. His name was Shy. He calls me up. He's like, hey, I have hotels in Atlanta. I want you to start working on. And like that wow. just where it all. It's just a wildfire, Jeez. man. So, so we started working with a ton of hotels. And that was around like from 2012 through like 2017, 18, yeah. like it was just pure growth with hotels. Still working with other clients though too. Yeah. Um, probably the most fun client we ever had was a music festival called Kaboo. Oh, I'll let um, you say fire festival. They, they, <laughs> They, 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 they actually, so the irony you is... You ever heard of Fire Festival? Oh, that's the yeah. island one, right? The island you one, know, yeah. he, he just got out of prison. He's trying to re... Uh, no, he's, yeah. he's not trying to do he's, it again. He's trying to redo he it. He did, wow. yep. He's, he, yeah, I just read this the other day, too. Yeah. He, what was he doing? He was trying to, like... He's teasing. He's doing, like, guerrilla yeah. marketing on his yeah. next thing. Billy something? No, what's his yeah, name? Yeah, I forget his name. Anyway, so Kaboo was before Fire Festival. Okay. They did it in, in San Diego um, at their track that overlooks the ocean. Awesome venue, yeah. super cool, so much fun, like an amazing run with those guys, okay? Yeah. They did, though, um, before Fire Festival, they decided they were going to do a Kaboo Cayman in the Grand Cayman Islands. <laughs> so they had, to, well, they legit, had, a, they had a, a legit one, but they had to deal with like, a little bit of a PR backlash, like, no, we're going to actually show you how to do a music festival wow. on the islands. Um, and then they also did a Kaboo Dallas at okay. Texas Stadium, which wasn't unfortunately as good as they maybe yeah. thought. Yeah. So they should have just stuck with what they had. Right. Yeah. What then of type course, of music is it? It's it's everything. So oh. they kind of play off of, or they, you know, it hasn't come back. The pandemic killed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Kaboo would play off of nostalgia. So like, you know, my age group, and I'd say if you were. But, but they even did good, like, because, like, the year the Chainsmokers, I don't know if you are oh, yeah. music, uh-huh. the year they blew up, they were, like, one of the headliners there. But then they also had, like, Jimmy Buffett. And huh. then they had, like... Um, Very dynamic. Like, Katy Perry. Yeah. I mean, they, they had, like, super all over the yeah. board. And then they kind of specialized in doing, like, art, music, and culinary. And then the the, the founder of that, this guy named Brian Gordon, like, I remember meeting with him. And his whole inspiration is, like, he wanted to have a music festival. He could take, like, his like his, uh, his daughter at the time was in college yeah. that he could take his daughter to and not be, like, disgusted by. Yeah. So it wasn't, like, porta-potties. It was, like, those brought-in, like, uh, trailer. Yeah, the, a- the HVAC uh, ones. Yes, yeah. like, you know, it was, like, an upscale sure. thing. So that was probably the most fun one. So we still even had them up mm-hmm. through the days. And then, 
it was really the the pandemic is when and the, is where you know even though the hotel industry got rocked and we got yeah. rocked yeah. coming out of that uh, you know because we basically our, our revenue went to nothing <laughs> you know but i'm like now's the time to really like it was it'll, it allowed us to kind of hit the reset button yeah and how we do things at the agency and all along i always knew i should have been going niche 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 because that was one of the things some of the hotels would come back well well you know what else? Because they'd see us doing stuff for like Kaboo or they'd see us doing stuff for Jersey Mike's. And yeah, there's some good of that. But they also want to know, like, are you truly the experts in this space? Yeah. And so and, and plus, it's also harder to scale a business. Yeah. When for my account teams, like to sit there and like put on a hat one minute and you're like process coming up different. with like a launch campaign to announce the lineup for Kaboo. But then you're also supporting like a contact lens company. Yeah. And then you're doing this cold cut combos. And yep. yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, then you're, you're trying to like, think about how we're going to market new Orleans, you know, yeah. like that destination. Like, yeah, you're that's right. a lot. That's, that yeah. is a lot. Wow. So it's like easier for to, to scale and have the processes, the tools, if you're just niche. So that's yeah. why in 2020, 2021, I'm like, we're going all in on hotels. Yeah. So all in on hotels. All in on so hotels. That's, all, that's what you do now. Hotels, social okay. media marketing for hotels. And so what's that been like the last, year and a half it's been great because like yeah. travels and back up things yeah. are going well um you know one of the the uh, you know probably to our benefit um with the pandemic is a lot of the field marketing teams were like kind of dissolved too so they've really put 100 percent of the marketing back on the hotel which yeah. is great because they they can't do it alone they need support so that's yeah. good for my business but yeah. what were some hesitations for people or did y'all just get the sense people are just ready to get back into it Depending by the region, I yeah. mean, first of all, like our, one of the things that helped us during the pandemic, I mean, remember I'm in, Cal I was in California, right? right. It was all shut down. Yeah. yeah. Like our hotel partners there, I, I felt so bad for them. Like mm -hmm. there, there's nothing they could do. And that was even like that up until last December even. Right. Yeah. So well, when we were at Super Bowl in uh, February, LA. that's when it opened up. Yeah. It had to. Well, but it was still, it still was hard to get in and out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they had to, but you could still feel like, all right, now you go to Orange County there. Yeah. Totally different. Totally feel. different. Yeah. yeah. But what what survived, what helped us get through that pandemic is, thank God we had a bunch of resorts in Florida because they, <laughs> yeah. they still Seriously. just stayed open. The, the, you know, the there, there was a pandemic in Florida for about a month. A month. Yeah. Yep. So that that's really. I mean, they they stayed open. Like yeah. every other hotel that we had, in like San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, New York, D.C., all those other cities were shut down, and they're their services were paused and suspended. Yeah. And looking back, isn't that such a wild time? Crazy. Like looking back, and, and we're going to look back in five we, years and yeah, think the same and we thing. we knew it was crazy at the time, right? Yep. But you look back and like, we still didn't have that perspective of how yeah. wild it was. Like yeah. what actually was going on? Yeah. I yeah. mean, and some, like you said, some states still to this day are hesitant. And yep. Yep. Florida and Texas, we had a pandemic for about a month. And I know. We've been rocking and rolling. So I, I want to go to the, the hotel side. So, what y'all do, because I've actually never asked you, like physically, what yep. do you, from a from a marketing standpoint, using social media, like are you controlling their actual social media? Or if you're going into a hotel, you're like, hey, here is what you need to do because here is how people consume information and are drawn to your resort. So we, we just, it's inevitable now we live in a, in a time where, especially as the younger generations are yeah. now like becoming adults. Yeah. And mm. like, I, I mean, going back to when we were talking about like the MySpace, what, mm. what kills me when I worked in radio, people like literally would roll their eyes and scoff at like that, that demographic under the age of 21. Like yeah. it was an undesirable demographic. Yeah. Now we're seeing a shift where all the marketers and brands are like, well, how are we going to track those people? Cause eventually they're going to be buyers. And it's yeah. just, I, I kind of like, yeah. 
I, I giggle to some degree because I'm like, man, like they wanted nothing to do with us yeah. <laughs> like 20 years ago. Oh. And now they're bending over backwards. Like, how do we track Gen Z? Think about, remember, think about you it. Know? I think millennials got the shaft because millennials were like, the worthless generation for so they, long. They definitely got punched in the face the most. And like, then, and then, and then, like, okay, now, okay, they're starting to contribute. They're starting to get into leadership roles. And you'd think, okay, the generation before, oh, Gen Zers, like these guys. It was like, okay, well, what do we have to do to reach these guys? Yep. So they're being catered to, and they're being like sought after, as opposed yeah. to like what millennials went through. And I'm like on the very, very like. Yeah, I don't really? think we have a lot to complain about yeah. as millennials. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying, though, it's it's so funny how different it was because totally. the perspective, you know, of of these the old heads over mm -hmm. here, you know, the baby boomers. <laughs> I'm, a Gen, I'm Gen X. Or Gen I'm, X. I'm actually, I'm a, Zen, a Zennial is what they call So if you're yeah, in between yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen X and millennial, yeah. that's what I am. Because I, I think I identify more with an older millennial because I was a... Early, I was a, always a tech adapter, yeah. right? But you, so you could be an older millennial if you identify that way. I could be. Yeah, I could be a Gen Z if I identify that way. Don't, hey, don't let them yeah. tell you any different. You do whatever you want. So, but, but to answer your question, like, so, you know, nowadays, yeah. like, and even like, even like five years ago, like our selling proposition to hotels, like the travelers are expecting you to be there. Yeah. Like we, we literally, so one of the, we do full service social media management. We do consulting. We do it all. We, we place yeah. ads. We do any, we're there to help them for as little as they need or as yeah. much as they need. Yep. A majority of them though, don't have people actually there to manage their social. Cause there's also a lot of high turnover in the hospitality space. Yeah. People go work at a hotel. They want to maybe delegate social media to a destination sales executive who's like 26 years old. Cause I think she gets social media. She's only in that role for like five months and then she's already maybe going to another hotel. Yeah. So there's quick turnover. So they need somebody to help that out with. That's where we kind of come in. Part of what we do is just community management, which is monitoring like the Instagram DMs, the Facebook DMs, the reviews, because there's people who will sit in hotel rooms who in this day and age do not want to hit zero on the phone. If they want to talk to the front desk, they'd rather go on Instagram and send a DM. Hey, um, can I get a late checkout tomorrow? Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah. Like... That's oh, just I what people's expectations got are. That ingrained with like, so I we mean, do. We do. We have a team of community management people. Y'all have to be on like the operations budget, oh, not totally. marketing budget. We're a hundred percent. I've been saying that for years, and I, I, it's funny you say that, Tyler, because I literally will say that to a lot of our clients. I'm like, hey, I know your marketing budget is what pays for this, but yeah. about thirty percent of it should be operations because we're an extension of your front desk. Yeah, like because sometimes that's one of my answers when they're like, well, "What's the ROI of this?" I'm like. What's the ROI of your front desk agent? Yeah. If I'm staying at your hotel and I go down to get something and no one's there and I get upset and decide I'm never staying with you again, how'd you quantify that ROI? Yeah. You know, because you, you, we see that. I, I can't even tell you the, we have a standing call with our community management team and like there's just it never ceases to amaze me. There's always something new. Like I, I've been doing wow. this for a long time now. Yeah. Like, I think I've always heard of everything that's being <laughs> asked on imagine. social or the expectations of what people have, but there's always something new. So, so then you've got a, a direct line of communication with whoever their team is. Like, let's just say somebody requests something that it's like, Hey, this, this guest is really unhappy. Yep. It's justified. We need to do something to make it right. Yeah. So that's how you kind of communicate with them. Yeah. So to if, be we, able to then if we get bring a client on, like we'll, we'll like do a discovery kickoff call yeah. You know, we'll send over like FAQ docs. So we yeah. have it inevitably though. Like there's always going to be new things that come up. And then, yeah, like when we, if, if you're the hotel and you're mm -hmm. our primary contact, we're like, Hey, if we get something that we don't know the answer to, or there's yeah. something that, that comes up at two in the morning, yeah. who do we need to escalate to? Usually nine out of 10 times they'll have like a front desk email. Yeah. So it goes to whoever's on duty. 
we'll, we'll fire that over. Hey, and yeah. nine out of 10 times in those instances, like they already know the issue with the guest. The guest yeah. has already came up, but like, yeah. I don't want to focus so much on the community management, but my yeah, point yeah, is like, that's part of what social yeah. media is though. It's not yeah. just the marketing. That's it is wild. like engaging and answering questions and all that. And then, you know, but then it's also coming up with content and, mm. you know, like thinking about the big picture, what kind of messaging do we want? How do we want to promote the hotel? Or in this day and age, a lot of it's just the destination. A lot of times yeah. you're just promoting the destination. So, yeah. cause I think about like, if I'm thinking about going somewhere, right. And I, whether you use hotels.com or one of these deals to see what's available, like I'll, I, and I'm not a social media user. I'm honestly, I'll just say yep. that right now. I don't, I don't use it much, but I, that's what I'll do is I'll go on to the social media because it's sometimes clunky to go through the website yep. to find like gallery pictures and what is this? Like, let me see what the social, like the, well, you also know those are like. cherry picked. They're the best yes. of the best. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about, this is what I usually would speak at conferences about is user generated content. Yes. And so we, we live in a time now where people value the perspective and opinions of others. I mean, yep. like one of the examples, like we've all done it. We go to Amazon, go to buy mm -hmm. some Amazon prime and there could be a product that's like, maybe looks really cool. It could be an amazing price, yeah. but it might only have like five reviews, right? But then you see the other one that might be like three and a half stars out of five, yeah. but it has like 15,000 reviews. You're still yeah. buying that one because right. yes. of the social proof. That's and you're right. like, that just seems like it's more credible. Like you want to yeah. know like what's really going on and yeah. like how do people And even products product. when like, like that, like I know there's a couple websites, um, even like for my truck, I had, I had to get a couple things and they do a lot of this website does a lot about getting you to post pictures, like your, your actual user pictures of it. Yep. Right. So it's actually community generated. So it's like, okay, that looks cool on the website. It's in a studio. It's totally controlled. Now let's see what, you know, staying in, in, um, in Iowa, what those taillights look on his truck. Yep. And now I can actually get a really good gauge on what it's going to look like. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, Instagram's made it easy because you can, and the, the true users of the platform know this, like they know that they can go and search like a location tag. Right. Yeah. So they'll go to Instagram. They'll like literally type the name of the hotel and, and it's maybe kind of cool if they're looking at the hotel's content, but they're also looking at all the content posted by all the other guests. Yeah. You know, um, like I'm, as I've gotten older now, like the one platform, like I, I'm a lurker on it. Like I'll check it out, but I don't actively participate, but like TikTok, for example. Right. Mm. Um, but it, it's funny cause like there's this TikTok trend right now where they do like drink Clorox something versus reality. Well, no, but th Benadryl. so they'll, Benadryl. they'll show like, they'll show like the person who's like in at the Eiffel tower in Paris, oh. for example. And for whatever reason, they, maybe they got the most perfect shot. It looks like they're mm -hmm. all by themselves enjoying the Eiffel tower. And uh -huh. then it cuts away to the audio clip and it really shows like oh, the yeah, masses yeah. of people, yeah. what it's really like, you know? <laughs> yes. So, um, I've seen a couple of those, like, uh, I think there was one, they were like on a beach somewhere in the like waves in these cliffs. It kind of looks like the edge of Cabo, you yeah. know, at the point. And it's like what, you know, what influencers show you. Yep. And then they zoom out and there's like thousands of people and people right next to them, like taking the same picture. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so, but I think people do do that from a UGC standpoint. Yeah. They want to see like, what's the real experience. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I have to paraphrase the, the statistics, but like, like seven out of 10 people or something like that. It's been like two years since I did this presentation, but during the pandemic, but like, I, I have a, a, tons of this stuff on UGC. Yeah. And it's like, Basically, what I'm trying to get to is like we as a society, we trust people more than we do brands. Like we yes. don't trust brands. We like watch commercials. We we 
we know that they're just telling us what they want to tell us, but we'll trust what everyday people say about stuff. Yep. Yeah. You know, like you're talking about influencer marketing, a phrase I've used for a long time is like everyone's an influencer. Yeah. Like, cause you might have influence, you might have an Instagram profile with 1 million followers, but you know, somebody else might have influence over one or two people who has a million dollars that they're ready to spend. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. What, yeah. pick or choose what you want there. So, so how do you control that though? Is that just coaching them? The like, clients? Yeah, the clients. Definitely a big part of what we have to do is education. And okay. I mean, that's what's hilarious to me is like, I've been doing this now for 13 years and a lot of the, the, the principles are still the same. Yeah. You know, but it's just reminding them like, it still cracks me up when we come across clients who want to focus on the vanity metrics. Like you were yeah. talking about the tracking and the vanity yeah. metric is like you're following because your following doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Because if Instagram tweaks their algorithm, you can still have a million followers. And yeah, maybe at one point you were reaching, you know, half of them, mm -hmm. but now all of a sudden you're lucky to maybe reach 2% of that, that audience. Right. Yeah. So. I did the math one time and it's like the amount of likes versus followers. It's in the 0.00%. Yep. It's not even a a percent. And is this because you're, you, did you do the post yourself? Uh, you mean, did you come up with the Instagram post and you post it and you're looking at the likes you're saying? No, I'm, oh. I'm just talking about like, if I look like Joe Rogan's page, yeah. all these big influencer pages, totally. even with 13 million followers, he's only getting 50,000 likes. And here's the other thing too. If you look at the caption, he's probably putting maybe, let's just say 30 hashtags in there. You could put right. up to 30 hashtags in a post, right? Well, there's bots now that the minute you yep. use certain hashtags, you're going to get like 50 likes right out of the gates yeah. too. So and, and the comments those are all likes, comments how many of those are like legit, right? Well, yeah. we'll, I'll notice we'll post like a reel. Reel's a big thing on Instagram yep. because they're trying to compete with TikTok. Yep. And especially when you get started, and you know this better than yep. I do, when you, when you post your first one, it gets like 10,000 views, you get hundreds of likes, and ha you go through and look at the profiles, it's like fake account. Yep. I wonder how many of those are fake, in other mm -hmm. words, just to get you that dopamine hit of, hey, this worked. Totally. I'm keep and they, they want you to continue to create yes. video yes. content. Exactly. And, but it's yeah. fake. It's a, there's no real engagement. And that goes back to the whole thing about building the house on rented land. Yeah. And so, like, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, like, you know, build the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, serve who your audience is, and they'll find you, right? All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an, the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Let's let's go into that. Maybe as we wrap this up and, and some practical application, yeah. because not everybody here is, everybody is in marketing in some yeah. shape, way, yep. shape, or form, but not everybody owns a business. So sure. practically speaking, that's a principle, it sounds like, that yeah. you were about to go down. What are the principles of marketing? What are some good foundational aspects that people should keep in mind if they're wanting to do this and, sure. and expand their so brand? So taking a step back, because like, I, I like to, you know, people always want to judge sometimes like based on the best stories. Right. And even from a, like a, a startup sometimes like we'll work with a brand or a business or 
let's let's remove the hotels when i've talked to other people who have like have a business sometimes they're not like not everybody could be like a viral brand like taco bell or, mm. or dunkin donuts like that just has like a viral fan base to begin with right like what if you are a chiropractor right yeah. <laughs> like yeah let's just be honest yeah. like that's not yeah. the super sexiest thing out there right, right. so okay but but you you should be doing that you should be marketing your services right like how would you do that and it goes back to like when I was even like with me, I want to demonstrate thought leadership. That's really what it is. Like be a thought leader in your niche. So if you're a chiropractor, like what content can you create that's answering questions? You know, one, a, a good friend of mine been on the podcast, great author, a guy named Marcus Sheridan. Um, he wrote a book called They Ask You Answer. To me, that's like the simplest thing when people are like, well, what kind of content should I create? Everybody, if, you, if you're in business, you have customers, your customers have questions. Yeah. Start writing all those questions down. Yeah. Answer those questions as your content, right? Put it on YouTube because where do people go when they're searching for stuff on yeah. YouTube? How to do this. How to Answer yes. that question, yeah. right? Like that's the number one advice I have is like start thinking about the content that serves your audience. And nine out of 10 times, if your audience um, has questions, that's the content you should be creating. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think what Google's the number one search engine and YouTube's number two. Number two. Like that. And, so and, go ahead. And, and the other thing I was going to say is like a lot of times, like I'll have clients who maybe I'm like, uh, you know, I'll say like, when was the last time you had to answer a question on email? Like, Oh, I don't know, last week I'm sure. Like, well, pull it up. What is it? And then they'll sit there and they'll identify it. it was a question a client answered. I'm like, how long did it take you to do that? And they're like, 30 minutes because we've all been there we spent yeah. 30 40 minutes on an email sometimes yeah. Oh, yeah. that one time like now imagine if you like answer that in a video format or you wrote a blog post on it or whatever one time you yeah. might spend 34 minutes but now the next time that question comes you can send them the link oh, you know yes. and good. you just saved yourself some time too yes. and and so like you know I, I don't know if i answered your question there no but you like, did for sure definitely i think just like creating those like those answering that that key cornerstone content yeah. And then you figure out where do you put it, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody always just sees this and they get ca caught up with the shiny new object. Oh my God, we, we gotta be on TikTok. Mm -hmm. They go sign up with TikTok. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta create funny dancing videos. No, you don't. Like, like no, Please don't. I, uh, take a step back, create the content, then break it up for the platform. See, you, I love that because uh, it's, there's a, a company here locally, KidStrong, that, that we, we've had on the show. We love, we love what, they're, what they're doing and the CEO founder, that's what he, like from a marketing perspective is like answer the questions. And so like they literally, if someone calls to say, Hey, how do I get signed up? Be like, Hey, give me your phone number or give me your, and they'll literally have their front desk person send them the link. And it's literally a 30 second video yep. that walks them through the process to get signed and registered as opposed to that one person spending 15, 20 minutes trying to get other information, trying to do all this, like make it simple, answer the questions, but make it simple too, yep. because people want yeah. to, if it's hard, people will be like, eh, I'm totally. going to go the other way. Yeah, that's really good. What about diversity of platforms? Meaning do you encourage and you need to be on everything or maybe pick two or three. What, you what gotta do you pick encourage? where your audience is again, and you gotta pick what you can do at scale, right? Okay. Like it all comes, if you're a small business and you don't have the bandwidth to do everything, then I would I would focus on the one or two that are most appropriate. Um, and I know it's easy to get caught up on like the, the, the shiny new toys, but you know, if, as you, like I would start with your cornerstone key content. And if it's, if you don't wanna do a blog, that's fine, or have your own website, well then at least put it on YouTube to start. Maybe it's mm -hmm. like a longer video, then you can splice it up into smaller increments. And maybe it's like, wow, that's a really key point. Let's promote that key point on Instagram it's and drive it back that. to the YouTube channel yeah. or to the website, right? Audio or podcasts, I mean, back in the day, 
um, you know, before people started doing video with it more, you could take like the audio clips and you could still like take like an image and then overlay the audio clip on it. And then now you're still driving people to the podcast, listen yeah. the whole episode, yeah. Yeah. you know? What about, you know, a big thing, especially in our industry, well, in any industry, saturation is, a, yep. every, you hear this all the time. There's just, it's, the market's flooded with people. Yep. Market's flooded with commercial real estate brokers. Market's flooded with Instagram influencers. How do you go about standing out from the crowd? What do you, and again, maybe there's not a nice, succinct answer. I think but, it's consistency because okay. like everybody else Amen. gets, like everybody else is seeing that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if this statistic is still true, but I remember vividly when I wanted to start my podcast, um, the one that Cliff Ravenscraft said is like, there's, you know, X amount of podcasts out there, but like only 94% of them make it past three weeks. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So that may be true, but like who's consistently doing that? Mm -hmm. Cause then your audience will find you and then it's getting it out there. And then one thing I don't want to get forgotten, like it, it can get deflating if you are, if you're on these social platforms and you create content, and then you it's crickets, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no shame in leveraging the ad platform. Like, you know, and that's one probably like kind of bringing this full circle back to like my, when I started in, in radio, buying radio as a small business or television was expensive. Like you need like yeah. three, four, five thousand $5,000 a month just to run ads in your local, you know, in your city for that. You can run Facebook ads for like 25 bucks, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, TikTok is an emerging ad platform now. So if your audience is younger and they're on TikTok, if you have a couple hundred bucks, you at least can go reach people nowadays. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have it at scale and you, if you want to create a few really solid pieces of content and then just turn them into ads, that works too. Yeah. Another question I struggle. Sorry, Tyler. I'm no, taking no, no, this. no. The, I can, I can just, <laughs> he's, he's like, all right, yeah. I'm geeking out. Yeah. That, another question I struggle with is, okay, is this good content? It's just not being it, it, crickets, like you said. Yeah. It it's good, but it's just not reaching the amount of people I want it to. Or is it bad? Like, how do you know the difference between something that's good, something that's bad? Again, well, that's, not a, not an easy that's, answer. That's but. not the easy. That's yeah. and that's where it just gets hard because the algorithms. You mm -hmm. know, you can put out something that you think is great, and to your point, like. It's just the algorithm's not going to play it. Now, maybe they're not showing it because it's maybe not super overly engaging though, right? right? But it might be really informative or helpful. And so that's one where, you know, we have clients that, let's just be honest, don't have the most sexiest. I mean, I take that back. The hotels are more fun. Yeah. But over the years, we've worked with clients that aren't the most sexiest fun industries. Um, but like one that, that, that speaks to mind, like I've helped out just because I have a financial interest in it is a turf and landscaping business, right? There's not like a other than before and after photos, I mean, yeah. I guess, but still yeah. like nobody cares about that, right. you know, but you could still like consistently run evergreen ads and showing these things. And then when people are ready to make that purchase, mm -hmm. you're top of mind. And I know for a fact, like when we, when we start turning up the dial on ads, we'll see an uptick in incoming calls or people going to the website and filling out the form. So I can see that relate that, yeah. that, that recollection of like how that ad is working and again, that can be done, you know, what's so cool versus advertising 20 years ago, you can just dial that up or dial that down, you know, yeah, depending on the time of the year cool. um, or the need, you know, uh, we, we haven't really gone into it as much, but like Yelp, even if you're a small business, I know people uh, hate Yelp, but like Yelp ads are phenomenal. If you're like a restaurant, a professional mm -hmm. services business, yes. whatever, because people at that point, you know, if we think about marketing funnels, a lot of times Facebook or TikTok is very top of the funnel, right? right. Like that's like, you're just trying to generate awareness, right? Yeah. Bottom of the funnel is like, I already said, I want turf. Yeah. Who am I going to go with? Am I going to yeah. go with, oh, let's go to Yelp. Who's ranked? Oh, here's their ratings. Here's their reviews. I'm going to start going down and calling them, you know? That's a good yeah. point. So. Yeah. And yeah. because that's, that's that, that point you said earlier, it's like we, the people trust the community input, right? Yeah. What are people honestly mm -hmm. saying about it? 
So yeah, I with like the, the sign that we have in our, I mean, you type in Google sign companies, Dallas, Texas. Yep. I can't tell you how many sign companies oh. there are mm-hmm. in Dallas. It's crazy. Sure. And it was very hard. But to your point, so what do you do? You go look at reviews. Yep. You go, what are people saying about yep. companies? Because there's just so many things out there of any given industry. So I got a question. So say there's a small business out there that has been trying maybe to handle their marketing in-house, trying to do it themselves, um, or a large hotel yep. hotel company that maybe has in-house, has a, has a marketing team within. What is the benefit of bringing someone on, like from an ROI perspective, right? Because a lot of times, especially small business, so maybe let's just focus there, is like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can spend 2,500 bucks, yep. three grand a month. Month. A month to to like hire a uh, a consulting firm to help me with this. Sure, walk us through why instead of just stumbling through it yourself, yep. and why bringing someone on like why it really truly adds so value. If one, if you you could always one try to quantify like the return on like are you can you physically track it with sales? So yeah. if you're like an e-commerce brand or anything where you can digitally track it, yeah, with like the the pixels which are all out there, great. Say you can't do that. Then I would, the next thing I go back is this time and resources. Like how much of, of your time as an entrepreneur, yeah. like, are you yeah. fumbling away, spending your time doing this? And so if you either a decide to hire, like you could try to go hire someone younger, like right out of school, that's fair game, but then give them the resources to learn it. Yeah. Don't just hire them and expect them to learn it. Mm-hmm. Say, Hey, I also signed up for this training program. I want you to learn, like invest in them then to learn yeah. it too with you or, or, or on, for your business, right? Mm-hmm. I would I would maybe start there. That would be like on a shoestring budget if you want to take it in-house. Now, if you want to go with an agency or hire a consultant or whatever, somebody else to do it, you, know, you have to remember it's not just like knowing it, you're paying for their knowledge, but then there's the doing of it. Like mm-hmm. they got to do it. They got to create the content, present this, the content schedules to you, write the copy, schedule it. If there's ads, there's ad placement, ad management, ad optimization, looking at the ads. Is this working? Is it not? Should we tweak it up? And then don't forget the community management. If you're yeah. a successful business, people are going to be messaging you yeah. or commenting on it and you don't want to ignore them. Like nobody likes that either. So yes. I, I would look at like, you know, okay, how much is your time worth too? And if you're spending all this time to do all that, yeah, you know, that's one of the biggest lessons off? I've learned this last year is, is the value of time over the value of money. Yep. And trading your, you know, money for your time and, and how valuable that is. Cause you're right. I mean, yeah, it's two grand a month or three grand a month. That's hard as a small Sounds business. Sounds like a big number, right? Yeah. But how much money are you spending by trying to do it yourself? Totally. Yeah. And how much money is that costing you? Yeah. What about like books? Do you, do you have any books that you think oh, of that, that people could, you know, a good well, resource to start with? Well, the social media stuff changes all the time, right? Yeah. So even like I joke, cause when I was talking about the podcast, I remember one of the first books I read in the space was like Twitter power. <laughs> it was a book on Twitter and it was written yeah. by this guy named Joel Com, who became a really good friend of mine. He's been on my, my podcast numerous times. Um, but like social media books, they change all the time. Sure, so yeah. I, I can't honestly recommend one now because it always evolves. But as far as like the marketers in this space, I'm sure you guys know Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh yeah. yeah we have Gary is like, um, uh, he's a staple for everybody. Yeah, if yeah. you're, if you're like, Hey, who do I go follow where I can learn this? Like Gary's going to teach you sound, sound solid principles, you know? Yeah. Um, he has some great books. One of his books is Jab, 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 Right Hook. I actually mm-hmm. still think that's relevant because mm-hmm. the whole point of Jab, 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 Right Hook, it's like a boxing analogy. Mm-hmm. You don't go in for the knockout punch, right? You're jabbing, you're jabbing, you're jabbing. Then you go for the knockout punch. Same thing with marketing. Like, you don't just go ask for the sale. Like, yeah. you know, he's like, you jab, you give value. 
You jab right. again, you give more value. You jab one more time, you give me more value. Now you built like that trust with the customer, boom, then you go for the knockout punch. Hey, yeah. you trust me now, now you buy my product. Yeah. That's yeah. a hard concept to grasp as a young person when you're not making any money. Yep. I'm sure you struggle with this. Oh, at yeah. some, I get it. You wanna, go va you wanna go with that right hook immediately because yep. you gotta make the sale. It's exactly. ironic how it's, it's a double-edged sword. Isn't it funny though, like you've been in whatever industry you're in and you see the young person do that the exact same thing that you did and how like spine tingling that is yeah. like yep. it's like cringe whether you're like you're just watching about to watch a car accident and you're yeah. just like oh. well everything rides on that sale yeah. and you sell better when you're relaxed but you're yeah. not relaxed because everything's yeah. riding on this yeah. it's just a weird yeah dichotomy so true so true and what about podcasts that that focus on marketing is there any good ones out there other so, than yours i mean well yeah and, and i talk about this tyler in full transparency since i'm new to texas and my whole podcasting studio is still in storage where uh -huh. we're building a house and all that i didn't have a studio I, I started mine in my office right um but we can do a trade you can do our marketing there you can we go use our, you can use <laughs> our studio <laughs> so uh but no but there's still some awesome ones out there um i i actually have to give credit to the one that i listened to back in the day they're still fully active and that's social media marketing just straight social media marketing oh. with michael stelzner he's the guy who puts on that social media marketing podcast yeah he has some of the best thought leaders in this space and he does a weekly show he also does a um another show or his company does and it's just more about keeping you up to date. So he has two podcasts. One's just about big picture strategy. That's the social media marketing podcast. The other one, I think it's called like the social media marketing talk show. And it's just a weekly show that keeps you up to speed with like the changes. Like mm. these platforms are always changing. Uh, hey, LinkedIn just added this and here's what that means or here's how it works or Twitter did this. Interesting. Snapchat really did good. that. Like they'll, they'll go pull. It's almost like a, like a news segment thing for social media. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you're watching Fox or CNN, they have correspondents. Yeah. They'll have like a Snapchat correspondent or huh. a TikTok correspondent who huh. comes and tells you what's going on. Yeah. So I'd say those are two, two ones I'd recommend. That's interesting. That's really good. Well, there's a lot more that yeah. we can still talk about, but I appreciate your time, man. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Where can Absolutely. people find you yeah. and connect with you? Uh, it's super easy. Just casualfridays.com is the company. But mm -hmm. um, if you want to find me personally, I'm Tyler J. Anderson at everything. Just if you go to like Instagram.com slash Tyler J. Anderson, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that I'm there except for TikTok. Okay. So, not, and do you have a blog or a resource where you give marketing I, not, type information? No, 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 I used to, but no, yeah. it's, it's, it's on, if you just go to casual Fridays okay. and, yeah. and you know, we, uh, this is something like, you know, going back to being niche, um, that's, what's next for us after the move and all that we're, we're launching later this year. Like our, when I was talking about like having a content hub, our content hub is going to be smart hotel marketing and we're creating a oh, bunch cool. of content just like for hotel marketing teams, ownership groups on how to market their hotel, what to do to market their hotel resources, mm. all that's there because as this has evolved, like as much as I want clients to hire us, hiring us is part of the process. Mm. Like they need to also have people, they need boots on the ground. Yeah. Like if you're going to capture this content, you need somebody who lives within the hotel walls. It's yeah. not scalable to have an agency fly in or drive to your hotel right. to do this. So we want to provide them the resources of what to do and then how we can work with them. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love it. Loved your story. The end though, the practical advice, man, I think that's going to be a lot of value for a lot of people. So cool. yeah, appreciate you. Man, doing I appreciate it, your time. Well, I appreciate for, you guys having me on. Yeah. It's been awesome to talk about all this. Yeah. So.